The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Topo. <laughs> Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> stop me if I talk too much. That, that's a good way to start the podcast. Yes. Stop me if I talk too much. Brendan Burns is back. We haven't got any official... Will Anderson is back. Yeah, because we're doing this together. Yes. What, what are we doing with simulcasting? A simulpodinate or whatever, cross-podinating. Yeah. I, I don't think I've actually done one of these where it's basically we're doing my podcast and your podcast at exactly the same time. Yes. It's so good. It's I should efficient. introduce to my uh, I should introduce to my fans, Will is a straight white guy, so we're breaking a rule. Yeah. Is that normally it's comedians of different sexuality, ethnicity, and gender. Right. And I ask dumb white guy questions. Yeah, but but today I'm here on behalf of allies. Yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm here to talk about how hard it is to be a full-time ally. Well, 100% really, an ally. I really wanted to catch up with you after last year uh, having me on the show. And thanks. Uh, I should uh, introduce Brendan Burns, who yes, is hello. one of Australia's uh, greatest export stand-up comedians. Oh, uh, winner of the claim. Uh, the Perrier Award for Best Comedian or Best Show at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. Eddie won the Eddie. It wasn't the Perrier when I won it. Oh, is that right? Yeah. They changed it. It's called the Perrier, mate. I got and that's what it is. Because I was the last time they had funding. Despite the fact also that the Perrier, um, I sh- we shouldn't even call it the Perrier because they were all, wasn't that like Nestle or Dodgy or they were involved in Everyone some sort of... Everyone boycotted at the moment they didn't get nominated. Right. So yeah. I was... Very easy to be political if you're not up for a nomination. I was so lucky. So it was intelligent finance. Uh-huh. So they threw shit tons of money at it. Like uh, after... That 12- doesn't seem like intelligent finance decisions though. No. Throwing no. shit loads of money at a stand-up comedy. Or no. What? And after 12 years of trying, I finally won. Like I got close for several times. And it was important to you, right? It was something that was an ambition, a dream of yours. Yes, it was actually. Like a lot of people denied it and so on, but I'd been aware of the Edinburgh Festival. I'm an Edinburgh Festival comic and I'd been aware of that festival since the age of 14 and dreamed of winning it. Well, it's the hardest comedy festival in the world. Like I would argue because I love the Melbourne Comedy Festival and because it's a pure comedy festival. Like, yeah. you know, J- Just for Laughs to me is a comedy conference. You know, it's less yep. for the comedians. It's more for the people around the comedy industry. Yep. Uh, you have Edinburgh, which is the biggest comedy festival in the world. And, you know... The and there's a huge drop-off afterwards. The most prestigious comedy festival in the world. But it's also a fringe festival and an arts festival and all those things happening at the same time. I love Melbourne because there's 600 shows on in Melbourne and it's just a Melbourne international comedy festival. If you're an international act... Edinburgh Festival is your year. Yeah. Because it's the well, it's not so much anymore because there are so many festivals and it's diluted. But if you're a festival comic, how that festival goes, your year depends upon it. And you focus the rest of the year up to that point as well, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's exam t- I think Andrew Maxwell called it exam time for clowns. Right. <laughs> and uh, beautifully put. And uh, Tom Rhodes, actually, I remember, who used to do both festivals. Right used to say that he would he would be a regular at the Melbourne Festival and he'd spotted the difference is all the internationals are hanging out, basically having a holiday, being taken on a bus to go and look at koalas. And then he'd see them uh, 
uh, five months later, four or five months later, just distraught and broken during the Edinburgh Festival. There's <laughs> nothing like that at all. I mean, that festival to me, I was talking to somebody uh, the other night, New Year's Eve, and uh, Tom Ballard, who uh, we were just uh, both speaking uh, yeah. in glowing terms. Yes, we were. Uh, about out Annoyingly on good. Yeah, I know. And, <laughs> and he's not straight. So he's got that. Yeah. I mean, I'm supportive of it. And he doesn't understand, you know, I've been a 20 year ally fighting for his rights. He gets a license in this country of saying some pretty dodgy racy stuff, but uh, obviously tongue in cheek and facetiously. But it is interesting that I suppose in Melbourne, which is a very, let's break Australia down. Okay, nice. Right. Uh for because this normally goes overseas, it doesn't really play that much in Australia. But Australia, if we were to break it into the United States of Australia, Sydney is LA, Melbourne is Portland, uh-huh. and has no idea it's Portland. Uh, <laughs> and it is Hipsterville, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's very it's, liberal, well, but it's super white. It's Portland, but it thinks it's New York, yeah, absolutely, yeah, thinks it's New York right. or London. But it's Portland. Yeah. And nothing wrong with Portland, by the way. Nothing wrong with Portland. Keep Melbourne weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Fucking get to work on your penny farthing, you cunt. Yeah, there's definitely some good hipster-like vibes. And it's if you like hipster liberal, things... all the while yeah. living on a graveyard. Absolutely. Like, there's no Indigenous people left. Well, I mean, that's Australia in general. No. There are Indigenous people left in Darwin. This is... We'll get... Actually, we'll put okay. a pin in this. Yeah, let's see it. Let's, because we'll since our that. conversation last year, my world has changed. And uh, Perth is Texas, or WA is Texas. Uh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And very much like in the same way, it, Perth often comes up that they, they, well, A, they talk about the East as yes. if we're a different country. Yep. Uh, secondly, if you're from Western Australia, you always want to go back to Western Australia. Yeah. Finally, you love it and hate it. finally, where all the money has come, you yeah. know, like eventually they've struck oil, you know, so to speak, in the Texas example. Yeah. And constantly threatening to secede from Australia. <laughs> Constantly. Absolutely. They might as well have their own flag. If they could own fucking tigers, they would. When the working classes got money in this country, boy, did everyone's left-wing pretensions fuck off out the window. Right. The CUB, I argued that if you call someone a cashed-up bogan, you're a bogan. That's a bogany term. Right. And the number one um, status symbol uh, was, uh, guess what went through the roof? Guess, Guess which market... Which status symbol went through the roof when Perth got a shit ton of money that trickled that actually trickled down economics worked? Well, I mean, the, it wasn't enough to save Ed Hardy, so it's got to be something higher up the chain. Higher. Uh, so some sort of car? Is it some sort of car? Uh, it's a vehicle. Oh, it's a vehicle of some kind. Hummer. The Hummer. A vehicle. Oh, a vehicle. Oh, okay. Golf carts. Not land. <laughs> Not land. Oh, uh, speedboats. Jet skis. Jet skis. A jet ski. You looked out when the fucking... <laughs> at the end of it, it was hilarious. And I mean, thank God they don't have guns. Oh. Thank God. Because the amount of like... Wow. Excuse me if it sounds like stick. It is in the new show. But if there would be so many jet ski shotgun deaths. Right. Of It looked like idiocracy. In that you went to the beach... And it was just people plowing into one another. I I mean, it's essentially the most selfish thing you can buy. Yes. A jet ski. Like, I I want my enjoyment to scare, intimidate, and ruin other people's experiences. Basically, I would like something that I can take down to the beach that has the societal equivalent of a leaf blower. Do you have a giant (laughs) leaf blower that I can ride in the ocean? Because that's... That's what I would like. Can it make more noise and be worse for the planet? I would like to enjoy the planet while destroying the planet. Fucking oath. It just, it, it looked like idiocracy. Right. Of, uh, and Darwin, 
Uh, I would hazard maybe Atlanta, Alaska. Get Darwin is Alaska. No, way without more black a doubt. People. Uh, yeah, okay, mate. Yeah, okay. So on black people, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because there's no, I didn't see a lot of black people in Alaska. But the vibe, you know, the fact that everybody there isn't really from there and you really shouldn't ask about what people were doing before they got to Darwin. It's very <laughs> much the same. protection program. Well, just don't ask. Something, you're in Darwin because you're running away from something. A broken relationship. Something like that. Um, and the other one is Alaska. Alaska is exactly the same. Like, you know, carefree people living in a world that is exciting. I love Darwin. Never had a bad time in Darwin. Every time I go to Darwin, one of the best times in my life, same with Alaska. Wild West. Love it. Okay. Well, I would have thought Brisbane, Mississippi, or Deep South. Yeah. Well, certainly North Queensland. North like, Queensland. Like, you know, when you get, like, maybe not Brisbane, but once you get anywhere higher than Brisbane Florida Towns, Townsville Cairns yeah yeah, okay Brisbane's Florida <laughs> yeah having said that Townsville looks exact have you been to Townsville mm-hmm. okay you know from the beach looking up to the mountains yeah you could shoot a movie there and pretend it was LA oh absolutely yeah it's it's staggering how much it looks like La Brea that one drag going up to the hills and there's even the houses on stilts and shit yeah they're, uh, they're not particularly similar cities in any other way no they're not <laughs> You could you could shoot there as long yeah. as you didn't talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as yeah, as long as you didn't let any of those Hollywood liberals into town. <laughs> and so, uh, so since last year as well. So that's that's I think when you break down Australia. So when you look at Melbourne as Portland, yeah. right, and it's white and very liberal, and something really opened my eyes since our conversation last year. We started talking about Australia Day, and I went off and wrote about it. You went off and wrote about it. And uh, very kindly as well, you said, like, I want to make sure there's no overlap. Well, I mean, it was one of those things where I hate with an issue like Australia Day. I think it's one of those things where I want as many people as possible to be talking about it. I don't want one person to have the definitive routine. Yes. I think it should be something that a whole bunch of, you know, white straight guys are talking about. But I mean, to answer that, and I and look, and I do think there is something in that. Is it was really important to me to have my take, and what I loved was that your take was a bit already done because it actually enabled me to then go, no, 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 no I have a clear path of different ideas. Like it's much better. You than, gave me clarity, right? But it's also much better for me to go away and then go, oh, great, because if we'd written just in two separate rooms without any collusion, right? Yeah. I bet we would have ended up saying at least some of the same things. Yes. But because I knew at the start that I could just take a different tact, but also that I had a different philosophy about how I wanted to approach it. My whole idea with my bit, and I'm going to record it for um, the new special I'm recording in like two weeks, three weeks, was I want to convince everybody in this room, no matter what your opinion on the heart of the issue, that we can move the date. And so my whole bit was literally about this idea, more a a comical take with a serious undertone. But at the end of it, I was going to convince you whatever was important to you about Australia Day, I would run through bit by bit and tell you why it would be better on a different day. So it actually then enabled me to have a more creative execution of that idea than perhaps I would have done. Because my first draft, and when I say my first draft, but my first bunch of ideas probably would have been a little closer to what you know you were doing at least some of it you know like the the heart of it but because that was already covered off it really almost forced me to go no 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 you need a 
completely creative, different execution of this. And that was the thing that kicked me into that idea because I probably wouldn't have thought of that as being my angle because I would have had enough with the other stuff. So for my creative process, it actually resulted in a, a much better and more interesting bit. And that's than I heartening that you say that because I tried the other bit, the, the move it to any other day and it ended up being the polar opposite of what I wanted. I wound, I found myself in a situation where it was earnest and I'm always worried about getting, trying to get noticed in the middle of a travesty. Right. I think there is an element of that, that, uh, that exists sometimes and you have to do funny first. And it was funny, off the back of our conversation, I was laboring for ages going, move it to any other day. And I was going, I thought of a day the other day. And I was trying to think, and I couldn't think of it. And then it was you that said, about sorry day. And I was yeah. like, sorry day. Move sorry day to Australia day or change, change Australia day to sorry day because eventually sorry will turn into thank you. Uh, and I then, after meeting up with you, I hooked up with an Aboriginal guy, uh, Craig Cordemay. Craig uh, and he's a journalist turned comedian. And he and I are now a double act and we're doing a double act in, in Perth because uh, he and I put on an all indigenous show during the Perth fringe and it was, it was all the internationals had a great time. They said it was their favorite show because they were in Perth going, where are all your black people? And I was like, I don't know. Right. And then, you know, everyone was laughing about, you know, uh, uh, all the, the, the racial issues, the things that you can talk about, the things you can't talk about. And of course in an all indigenous room, all bets are off. Everything that you're told elsewhere that you can't discuss. For instance, I did a bit about uh, the, uh, did an impression of an Aboriginal lady's accent. Now, if I stood it in the white room, everyone would freak out uh -huh. and say, how racist is that? Even even you saying that then made my heart go a little smaller. See? see? <laughs> but what I did was I got uh, Craig's mum up and Mary Burke up and had them both yell simultaneously, you can't get off my lawn. Right. And I said, you blend those two noises, that's my accent. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's our accent. Our accent is a blend of Aboriginal and Irish. Right. Uh, so sometimes that's where political correctness can be the new racism. I understand that in the past we've had guys like Billy Cokebottle doing almost a minstrel act, but why is an Aboriginal accent such a taboo? Why is, why is that always got hate attached to it uh, i mean and the other thing is if you it is so weird because so much of the indigenous slang or language you know colloquialisms you know like things like deadly calling things deadly yeah like for good you know if something's amazing or cool or whatever in fact it's one of those words that i think you know if used in context it can be used for so many different it's one and i so wish that i could call things deadly like all the time in my head i'm and like you oh, that's you deadly no. you think it's appropriation yeah i feel like it would be i feel like it would be me overstepping now is that melbourne i mean maybe that melbourne sucking you in because here's something that blew my fucking mind was he opened my eyes to this as well right is melbourne and sydney talk shit about darwin Aboriginal people go, are you out of your fucking mind? Darwin's the only place I feel comfortable. Right. Because I walk around and there's other people that look like me. Mel Melbourne is terrifying. Melbourne is where genocide was successfully committed. There are no Aboriginal people and I'm shitting myself. I'm going, right. this place is lush and I find this place scary. And it completely changed my... Because we all look down on those on Darwin, don't we? Well, you, well, well, well said, I don't, you but that's just Darwin. a personal issue that I love of Darwin. But yes, it like in a country sense. Uh, yeah. By the way, I don't know if it's like your phone or my phone. I don't think it's my phone. Is but we're buzzing? Getting, we're getting a little buzz, Shit. so I might just... That's probably me because it's yeah. international. Yeah. It's so. struggling. 
That's all right. God damn it. Um, Have so, I fucked all of that up? No, it was good. It was just that, like, I thought, you know, it happened once and I was like, oh, no, that's fine. It's gone away. And then it happened a second time. And then I was like, oh, okay, if it happens a third time, I'm going to say something. So I believe that was the third time. <laughs> so that's pretty much my approach to everything you uh, that I've just demonstrated through that, though. <laughs> that is essentially how I pro- approach all issues. Like, the first time, like you said, retarded, like, you know, for example, like, you know, if I had a guest on, they said retarded, I'd be like, I don't know how I feel about them saying retarded, but I'm not going to say anything because I want everyone to be able to speak in the way that they speak. Yeah. And, you know, it's their words and I'm not saying it. And then it would happen the second time and I'd be like, oh, you know what? I think the third time I'm just going to put on the record that, you know, we can probably have a good conversation about how I don't find it, but they can talk about, and that's pretty much my approach to to everything. Well, everyone has their... So if you want to get me... You just have to do it three times. <laughs> Retarded. Or, or do the, the, the Aboriginal lady impression. Yeah, By yeah. the way, it's terrible. Yeah, the first time I would My have been like... awful. Second time I would it have been like, next time. so I'm... bad. But of course, in front of an all-Indigenous room, everyone cracked up at how bad my accent but was. But that's the difference, isn't it, in context? And I mean this seriously now, which is the difference between doing something in front of somebody's face, which is clearly we are all in this together. You are not the butt of this joke, even if you are, if someone is technically the butt of this joke. But this it's joke the difference is... Between jokes uh that are about and for absolutely right and, you, and there are jokes for yeah uh, these jokes are for you they are also about you yeah. but they're about you and for you whereas like even when i'm standing on stage talking about like changing the date of australia day mostly they're for white people to sit and nod their head at they're not for so even though i'm saying something that you know if you write it down on paper or if you go well look at him his politics are fantastic he's to-, but i'm saying it to a whole bunch of other white people like me i'm not they're in the middle of that so yeah. they're still two very different things the, what do you feel are you worried about preaching to the converted or uh no because i like my attitude to that is never has never been like i'm never going to say anything because by the way i have no idea what my audience think i look at them they're all different people like yeah. there's old ones there's young ones there's like ones that weren't born when i started doing this there's like old ones who clearly watch the abc there's like you know 20 you know people with asian faces who are probably like born in australia but sitting together in the middle of the row and i don't know what their life experiences is right if i try to start guessing like how to even preach to the choir right. i don't even know what songs they know <laughs> how the fuck would i know you know what i mean like well, I'm, I'm just going to say you, what i think regardless but where are you because I should introduce you as well. Is uh, Will uh, is uh, arguably one of the biggest acts in Australia. I mean, I would argue it, but I don't know who. <laughs> no, <laughs> you sell okay. How many? How many seats? Well, Melbourne Comedy Festival about twenty thousand, but there that's my go. biggest. And you, uh, you go between here and the US. Yeah, that's right. About half and half. So, where? Okay, for instance, Jim Jeffries in England would be considered right of centre. Right. right in England, yeah, absolutely. In America, he's a screaming liberal because of the his gun control, gun control routine. Uh, the rest of it, not so much screaming liberal. No, often screaming minority group <laughs> who's tied up in the joke <laughs> and something terrible is about to happen to them. Yeah, <laughs> but you know he kills the black gigs. Oh, and, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, the thing you can never say about Jim, and I think this is the, the great skill is. That he genuinely, a lot of his stuff is to me, not to my tastes or not the way that, you know, I would express an idea or ideas that I feel uncomfortable with. But 
he's not a guy performing to guys in white hoods. Like, you no. know, he, he'll take his act to everywhere and he'll take his gun stuff to crowds that don't agree with his gun stuff. And he'll get, he'll get all the people who saw the gun stuff on Upworthy or whatever. And they come along to his gig, you know, hoping that it's all going to be like that. And he'll still do his, you know, his stuff about the women thing I really or respect those about sort of him things. Is he's never cared about right. career damage. No. Like, if, in fact, he he the, often he's invited these days a whole bunch of people who clearly would not like each other into no, the same room. No, exactly. <laughs> Which and is a great gift in itself. His you know? manager told me that it was like a, a double-edged sword now. Of like, there's people that can't... Uh, and he did it in his last special where he went, a lot of you turned up because of the gun control stuff and I've been talking about shit for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and... I remember when he came to Australia as well, he was lambasted in the press, wasn't he? By, right. uh, I, and I wish he'd actually had the presence of mind that when they were saying like his rape stuff, right? How dare he talk about rape? I wish he had the, uh, I wish he responded or I wish someone came out on behalf of him and said, Jim's a rape survivor. How dare you rob him of his reaction to it? Right. I mean, a multiple rape survivor. He was, uh, and he's talked about it in his act. I'm not revealing it's anything. Interesting. Uh, yeah, imagine if they, imagine if you were. Whoops. <laughs> Jim Soldier. I'm really annoyed. Jim's PR didn't divulge this really private bit of information. Right. <laughs> but but that no. is probably why he pushes that button as hard as he does because yeah. it's he was he was raped. No, absolutely. Is is do you have? Because this is something I think about quite a lot, though, when it comes to those sort of things. Is I I quite like both that we have artists who do provoke those sort of things, but I've got to say I don't have as much of an aversion to the commentary that comes after it or the whatever because I know that like you know we always have these debates and in like okay I'll walk through this a bit more slowly so you can understand the point I'm trying to make. Obviously, as a stand-up comedian who wants to say whatever I want to say and who has podcasts where you have them because they are places where you can say exactly what you want to say. Yeah. I still don't have so much of a problem with the idea that he tells his rape jokes and a whole bunch of people get upset and write articles about the rape jokes and that people have a debate about that and that some people don't think it's good and maybe Jim takes feedback and either gets provoked to do more interesting he stuff wrote a or, really good interesting do did. you mean like it, so yes. to me the yin and yang of that. it's never really stopped him i look at those things and i look at the debates but i don't actually see anyone ever being silenced what i see is being people being provoked or people be, having to justify or people and i don't actually see anyone like we talk about people being silenced or that we should be able to say whatever we want to say but you still can Maybe these days you're running the risk that more people will be upset by that thing that you had to say. Yeah. But I haven't seen anyone actually be, well, at least in these debates we're having, there are countries where you can be silenced, of course, for things you say in jest. But in the countries we live in, I think we're still a fair way away from that. And I sometimes think we get overly protective or overly excited about the idea of going, oh, we used to be able to say whatever we want and now we can't. <laughs> no, well, no, we can still. You can. You can actually still say I exactly agree what you that. want. Having performed in countries with literal content police right, and them up the back of the room reporting on a phone everything I'm saying, when people talk to me about the content police in Western society, I'm with you on that. I'm like, no, you don't know. You don't know. No. We don't have content police. We have people that react. Uh, somewhere in there, uh, I think there is a lack of nuance. I do believe podcasting is the only place left for nuance. Uh -huh. I agree. 
Uh, I mean, I was uh, doing an interview with. I'm going to the to uh, Bermuda next week to do some shows yeah. of all places, and I was doing an interview on Skype this morning with a journalist in Bermuda, and uh, I was talking about the idea. She said, "What do you like about podcasting?" And I said, "Nuance, like uh, the fact that I can have this argument about free speech with you, and I don't have to like I can explain that. Of course, theoretically, I am for free speech, but at the same time, I have no problems with you know there being arguments over what is acceptable forums for different types of speech, and I have no problem with people drawing their lines at different places, and all those ideas can coexist." At once, but a podcast is the only place you have time to explain any of that shit. You go on some TV show, you have one opinion, it's got to be very firm one way or the other, and everyone yells at each other, and we get nowhere, and the world just keeps burning while people (laughs) buy jet skirts, you know? You see that article this week about everything good that happened in 2016? I mean, it was a good year for me. My football team won the grand (laughs) final. My wife wife and, and that guy I'm working with, Craig, that both of them were like, I've had the best year of my life. I feel awful. Oh. Like anyone who my television show won both the major TV awards this year. Like it was so it's, it's, my show sold. Your, I got a five star review in the age for the first time ever. I mean, your... sure, a lot of people whose records I like died, but I still own their <laughs> records. I I had a joke that I've had to like so commit to. Like I really want this to be known that it's my joke because I can only write it. I can only tell it one day, and I got it out there, which was. Uh, in the future, a famous person will die every 15 minutes and I'll be famous for having said this. Oh, that's actually pretty good. That's good. I so rarely write a good joke. I mean, that's an actual but great joke. That's I, like something that I could see on a desk calendar. I know. I <laughs> or know. in a New Yorker cartoon. It's a bumper sticker. Yeah. Oh, how fucking Texas is this? Uh, this was, uh, we were driving down to, we were driving down south of Sydney and uh, someone has a bumper stick on the back of their sa- a car. It said, R.I.P. John Hampton or whatever. And then the year he was alive. And she goes, who's John Hampton? And I went, friend of the family. And uh, this is my wife. And she's super English. And she goes, you can get bumper stickers made instead of a fucking gravestone in this country. And I'm like, oh, I mean, well, Perth has a lot of jet skis. She's immediately gone to the idea that it's an either or situation. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Like she said, you can get bumper oh, yeah, stickers yeah. or gravestones. <laughs> like they're your only two choices. Uh, Did she not even consider the fact there might be some gravestone company that's also giving away bumper stickers <laughs> as like a competitive Again. advantage in the market? Now that is a super you know? Aussie... If you've got two things, right, there's two gravestone businesses in town and one of them's got, like, bumper stickers that come with it, who are you going to? Well, I, I, I define the, uh, uh, you know how we always hear how Aussie is that and then we never are able to put our finger on what it means. Sure. It's because it's borderline incongruous. I think it's blunt ambivalence coupled by a complete lack of self-awareness. Yeah. I think that's, every, every time you hear how Aussie is that, yeah. you can apply that definition and it works. Complete blind luck. You think Howells is that complete? You think <laughs> most of the success of this country is complete blind luck? We haven't had a competent leader yeah, in a decade. A little bit of genocide. See, but, oh, I mean, but that's what I mean. Com- again, complete blind luck. Even that, the fact that the English sent their convicts here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Did, okay. they didn't even know what they were onto. They literally had found the best place ever, like to be yeah. ever. Like the, the the weather's pretty good. Like in most of the places that you want to live, like abundant in resources, plenty of space, incredible lifestyle, and every year just lucks its way into the top five on whatever you want to name: education <laughs> standards, health standards, whatever it is. We literally have not made a decision in Parliament in this country in ten years, as we've been. <laughs> 
a rotisserie of leaders, one a year, and yet we still seem to Bradbury it to the top five of every single world event. Like Australia last year had three of the 10 most livable cities in the world. Yes. There's 24 million people on a rock the size of the continental With a United million States things of America. Nailed I do it. think Nailed it's Irish, it. Irish that were taught to live by... That's why actually Indigenous folks love the Irish. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. They love the Irish. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the Aussies born of British descent. Like, so the, but the first fleeters are actually very popular. That's maybe why Perth is so affluent. Right. Is that was political prisoners. So you took basically all the Irish leaders, all the guys that wanted Ireland back in the middle of, uh, of, would you call it a revolution? I don't know what you would call it. Uh, the troubles, as they say. Right. Uh, so all of their political leaders got sent to Western Australia. And then, so you sent them to a Mediterranean climate right. with every single natural resource going. And then we're baffled that they're, they're all fucking minted. I know. I mean, it's it's like, it's incredible. People talk about Australia being settled, but we're not. We're a, we're a convict nation. We're a penal nation predominantly. And our attitude to the world is still that like very attitude of like, you know, we're getting away with something. And I think that it was a really good attitude to have for a very long time, but now we've become entitled. We used to feel like we were lucky, you know, that we did, yeah, yeah. That we'd stolen a loaf of bread and we ended up in paradise and we were the luckiest people in the entire world and we should always be grateful for it. Yes, we had to ignore a lot of shit that happened when the British got here to have that opinion, but now we're, we feel like we're entitled to it. We feel like, you know, our way of life, like we're willing as a country to... I mean, you're in America and they talk about, you know, Donald Trump's wall and how, you know, whatever that is. We have a moat around this country that we use, (laughs) you know, like we literally like are so against immigration. We will pay other countries. Like this is how rich we are. Imagine the arrogance and the richness and the way of life that you're like, it's like paying your neighbors to like put your garbage out. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I just don't want that. I'm going to put my shit in my neighbor's bin because my house is too good. I don't want rubbish in the front of my house. I'm just going to use my neighbor's bins. I'll give them a couple of dollars a week so I can use their bins, but I, I'm not letting anyone, no no rubbish in my That's house. That's a funny you know. bit. Do you do that? The moat? No, I don't talk about... Um, uh, refugees? Refugees anymore. I used to talk about them a lot. And then uh, I saw Tom Ballard's show, Boundless Plains to Share. Yeah. And I went, okay, that's, that's, done. that's you know what? That this is what people should see. Anytime you want to know what I think about refugees, go and buy a ticket to Tom Ballard's Boundless Plains to Share, and I'll be like, ditto. I'll just stand there at the end and go, yep, that. I've what, had a change what of he, mindset. What he just said. Yeah, I've had a change of mindset around that. It was, well, it was like after our discussion last year around Oz Day, and at first I was like, oh God, if Will does it, then can I do it? And I agree with you of like, okay, we're still performers. We still right. want to be noticed. Uh, but at the same time, you have to. I think in pursuit of happiness and contentment with what you're doing, you have to ask yourself sometimes, am I more important than the message? Uh And if you accept, like if you mean, if you put your money where your mouth is, if you believe what you're saying and someone else is out there saying it, you don't have to worry about parallel thinking. You're like, good, good. Because the more of a saying this, then, you know, otherwise I'm fucking Christopher Hitchick, you know, Hitchensing. No, I absolutely agree with you. You know how he no. said, like someone said to him, how would you feel if religion was abolished and you got your way? And he'd be, I'd be miserable because then I wouldn't have a job. Right. So I was like, well, then fuck you. Yeah. And uh, I have cancer, you cunt. And so <laughs> firstly, I think comedically, the things that I've had to say, I've said, you know, um, but I think actually I got to the point where 
like with that issue in particular, where it is now to me so depressing that the things that I genuinely wanted to talk about in it are too too hard to make comedic. Like as in like you're almost not too hard. That's not true. I think it, it's you can make anything comedic, but that I don't want to make them too comedic. Because you almost don't want to like, you know, make this thing something that people can laugh at because it shouldn't be something that we laugh at. So what I've decided to do in regard to that specific area now is my work's going in a bit of a different direction. I want to talk more about capitalism and and actually how money affects it all and, you know, the the heart of the kind of free market and neoliberalism and how it affects those issues, which is something I don't see people like hopefully, well, comedians talk about, I hope, in the way that I want to talk about. Um, But... Uh, what I am doing a lot more of is through Facebook or through Twitter or these places where I have, you know, these access to these audiences, sharing with them if I find a good article on the issue or a good editorial or a good piece of vision or something, you know, really making a point of going, hey, I'm just going to curate this page in a way that if I see something, you know, one or once or twice a day, maybe that's particularly around this issue or some other issue at the moment, uh, the government in Australia has just overcharged a lot of people who are on Centrelink benefits and like all these vulnerable people over the Christmas period have been demanded to pay back all this money that perhaps they don't even need to pay back. It may be a computer malfunction. So like, it's a really terrible issue. I'm not smart enough to make great jokes and the jokes that I would be making I think would feel like they're making fun of people who are on the dole or whatever, you know, right. but I've shared every good article on the topic or, you know, passed around, you know, the sort of idea of pe- being sympathetic to those who are on benefits because that is something that I personally feel. So sometimes now I don't feel like I need to make comedy about everything that I believe in. And sometimes when I share something that isn't comedic, I hopefully maybe even what that says to the audience is I I think this is important enough that I am not going to make it about me making it a joke. It's just about me going. Here's something that I think that I enjoyed reading. That you should propaganda. Write. No, because I just don't like. You know how sometimes people share shit on Facebook and that's yeah. their activism. Well, well, interestingly enough, I well, firstly, I know that that's not my activism, so I don't care about that. Okay. Um, secondly, I don't read anything that happens on social media so i pu- i use social media to publish but not to get feedback so if i put something on if i put an article up about refugees or whatever and you know there's going to be a debate or a blah 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 i've just posted my thing here's it what i think staggering in our lifetime how that has become a negative term feedback refugee oh refugee well, we don't even call them refugees in Australia because that's part of the language. You know, you reframe it. Illegal immigrants, even though they're not actually breaking uh, Because the refugee UN. was, by, yeah. by definition, is someone that's esca- escaping hardship. Right. And yet somehow it's now, I mean, I saw this kid talk about it on, um, on Frankie Ball's show. I wish I'd remember. You know what? It was one of those things shared on Facebook. But it was uh, a, a, young, a young black uh, English kid talking about how uh, white, white attitudes are completely different. Like if a white person moves somewhere, they're called an expat. Whereas if someone of any other uh, color or ethnicity, they're an immigrant. Right. And uh, So it, true. I'd never thought of that, but that's absolutely true. Oh, it disgusts me. Disgusts me. Well, I'd, it's also that complaint I always hear, you know, oh, they come out here and they just hang out with each other. I'm like, have you ever been to London? You ever been to LA? Yeah. Mate, the Australians all hang out with each other. Yeah. Go to a, there's a bar on a Friday night, every Friday night, where 80 Australians get in the bar and hang out with each other. If they were Lebanese Muslims, that'd be, that'd make the Daily Telegraph. However, <laughs> yes, that's true. However, liberalism normalizes whiteness. Right. Immensely. 
case in point, I, you know, if I want to discuss indigenous culture, like you, you, like as you said, you, your instinct is to freeze when I talk about an impression of an Aboriginal woman I met, you know, in the in the Australian outback, right, right, and because of that, we've had I've harped about this on the show. It's pretty much the premise of the show is during the course of my career, bills have gotten wider and wider, and so have the rooms, because if you label any acknowledgement of any other culture as racist. Uh, or, or or look at it as negative, or the idea of punching up and punching down. Whereas, say, if an Indian comedian does jokes about uh, Western culture, they view that as punching sideways. And no one actually, white culture doesn't actually have a concept of punching sideways. And so uh, it's still steeped in the idea of more than and less than. And uh, you know, it's 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 so insidious and so so much a part of our collective psyche and makeup of uh, it, it's almost deemed impolite to acknowledge uh, a, another culture that it feeds into the idea of white supremacy. It's still, it's, 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 it's not at the front of it, but it's definitely a foundation. It feeds into the idea of immigrant versus expat. It feeds into the idea of uh, as you said, refugee versus immigrant. Uh, fucking, and not only that, I keep on like, since in a post-Brexit Britain, I'm like, fucking tread lightly, cunts. Fucking tread lightly. Because, okay, I live in Britain, right? Their only resource, their only resource is me. Uh-huh. And people like me. Immigrants, yep. sure. skilled workforce, personnel. They don't have shit. They don't have minerals. They don't have fucking livestock. They don't have fruit they are europe's admin at best and they are starting to talk shit and uh i'm like as far as i can tell they're the fucking problem right you know uh if 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 australia wants to close its doors first of all world's sparsest population uh the idea that australia worries about immigration the world's sparsest population the idea that people have t-shirts in this country with fuck off we're full we are literally the full least full place on earth i i get it why you feel that way because one of our neighbors is the antarctic uh, but the moon is more surveyed than Western Australia. The moon is more topographically mapped than Western Australia. Something not of this earth. Well, I mean, we get onto this and I don't want to get distracted because I feel like you're going to something that I'm interested in. But it's why I always talk about the internet being so terrible in Australia is because so many of Australia's issues could be solved by great internet. Like if you could have really effective internet around this country because there's so many spare space, yeah. so much spare space, you would, suddenly Newcastle could be an exciting city again or wherever because you don't need to live in the western suburbs of Sydney paying a fortune to commute an hour and a half a day when if you've got high-speed internet for a lot of jobs, you can live in Newcastle by the beach. they still have copper wiring here, don't they? Ah, oh, mate. I, I, there's and a that guy, was corrupt, wasn't it? It was Tony Abbott. Had everybody's like... tried to essentially bring down the internet in this country. We have plummeted for a country that is so rich <laughs> and that could be fixed in so many ways. Like immigration, because here's the thing, immigration isn't a problem in this country. Like refugees aren't a problem in this country. Here's what a problem is, infrastructure. It's the problem. The people are mad at the the immigrant or whatever because they're stuck on the M5 or whatever and they blame, you know, the brown people. If those brown people were living in Wollongong, there would be no traffic. We have high-speed internet and they all go in and live in a nice place and, and the whole cities could spread out. It's like one thing could so easily solve all these other things that we argue about all the time. But anyway, that's just my political hobby horse that I felt like I needed to jam in. Well, it is, no, fair enough. It's, it's pretty much all the show is about. Uh, yeah. Well, my show anyway. Just. But with the Brexit thing, 
Like, I mean, that was, I mean, amazing from the outside. See, the American thing, the Trump thing, I saw from the inside, so understood a little more. Did you Oh, put see... a pin in that for a second. Yeah. There was a question that I was starting to ask you. So, in Australia, you, so you work between England and Australia, uh, sorry, between Australia and America. Pri yeah. uh, primarily. Pre yeah. Predominantly. Yep. Yeah. Where are you, so we talked about Jeffries being... Uh, right of center in England, screaming liberal in America. Uh -huh. Where are you viewed in Australia? Because I remember last time when we spoke, there's like obviously the Westy Bogans kind of guy, the fucking PC Will Anderson. And I was like, what? What do you mean, PC Will Anderson? I was like, I've seen him at Setlist in America. He's not, well, first of all, no comedians act as politically correct. Right. They just, it just isn't. No well, one's is. My, mine's, so, by the very nature of the term, of course, like, in fact, most of my stuff is what you would consider because it's humor. It has to be by its very nature politically incorrect in some way. Yeah. Uh, what they mean is that I don't subscribe to the side of politics that they do, which is what people use to. So, yeah, where are so, you? Are you left of center in Australia uh, or are you screaming I mean, lefty? Or? I, I think that most people, like, I, I, I don't use the term left because my sure. my personal philosophy isn't rooted in the politics of the left and I don't subscribe. But if you went through all the things that I that I personally find important issue by issue, um, most of them I have what people would describe as progressive opinions on and probably okay, much now, more progressive than, than probably the person who lives next door to you. So what are you in America? I, further to the yeah further progressive like i mean really so america's more right wing well, than australia oh much more i mean i would argue still our right wing here feels like particularly when you talk about capitalism you know the the role of workers and health and education and those social safety nets and stuff as a country like i mean tony abbott tried to like you know dismantle medicare when he went into a, a government and all of australia even the people who support tony abbott went nah we're a country that likes to be able to go to the doctor and pretty much you know for free like you know you don't have those like same right-wing causes like you know abortion and you know the religious right you know they're a little bit around gay marriage obviously marriage equality but um no i, I find australia uh, to the left of america country what about racially in general uh depends where you are in america Depends where you... No, I mean, uh, what about Australia? Yeah, but I would say that there are p places in America that are much more racially um, comfortable because, you know, they have grown, like, predominantly up with, you know, race being, you know, a factor, culturally mixed. Um, yeah, but, I mean, obviously Melbourne and Sydney and stuff are very, you know, culturally and racially mixed cities. It just... There are some out... You know, you have... What happens in Australia is, like, the story of Australia with every generation of immigrants is they come in and they're hated... And then the next generation, they are beloved. And like literally the history of Australia is that migrants second generation have always ended up more successful than, you know, people who, who weren't migrants second generation. But it takes a generation. Yeah. So you have these like layers of like, you know, the Greeks and Italians looking at the Vietnamese and the Japanese going, oh yeah, we were you. Like, I mean, Pauline Hanson's the best example. I, I used to talk about this in my act, but when I first started doing stand-up 20 years ago, Pauline Hanson first came on to, she's our, you know, Nigel she's Farage our, or she's whatever. She's Nigel Farage, maverick MP slash colossal racist. Right. So she used to be. One of them pops up every 10, 15 years. Hers was, uh, she had one nation and she was against Asians. She was, Asians are coming to Australia, they're going to ruin Australia. And then 20 years later, she was back. She was like, Muslims are coming to Australia and they're going to... And my it was like, what happened to the Asians? <laughs> like, hang on, weren't the Asians? But she loves the Asians now. You know, I was like, she's doing a press conference at Sushi Train. She's like, those muzzies, they're the problem. 
I was like, I said it's probably the Asians who started it about the Muslims. That's what the Muslims are going to do. You know, that's a really that, that's a interesting bit, point of view. But, that but that's what happens. Whatever generation, because I had like a, I was interviewing a bunch of black English comics because it's very you know how people like uh, deem the question uh, where's your where are your parents from uh-huh. right? People think that's a very racist question to yeah. ask because nobody ever asked me. Uh, well. But they do. They do. Yeah, often. But also, <laughs> then that also denounces 1.5 billion people and the world's largest continent uh, that has 25 more countries and cultures. Uh, it, it basically just paints everyone as black. Right. Right? And black Britain is made up of, you know, it's, it's three times more diverse than Europe. Yeah, well, right. I mean, three times right. more diverse, and 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 so with that lack of curiosity, uh, comes an ignorance, which also I think you know, an ignorance breeds prejudice, without a doubt. And uh, I was asking a bunch of guys like, who who eats shit in the black community, and it's Somalia, right? So to your point, of, it's a very interesting notion of uh, the next generation of immigrants get shit on. And it's funny that in uh, uh, that in Black Britain, it's uh, whoever's they said it's whoever's newest, right? And whoever's like probably the brokest, right? Well, you've got to have some money to make right. it on the oppressed minority list. <laughs> yeah, or well, he's come from the worst circumstance, so he's reacting in the worst ways. I mean, I think to, in in Melbourne at the moment, it may be the Sudanese refugees who are having a bit of crime trouble, like the young Sudanese boys who've never been in these environments, and you know suddenly, uh, and so they become the kicking you know point in the totem pole. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, there's a worldwide movement against Islam that is bigger than just Australia or England or yep. America. It's so when you talk about that, which is definitely here now and that those other groups have now latched onto, you know, cause the, the reclaim Australia's or whatever, they, they've, they've been around forever. You know, they've yeah, always they been white supremacists. They've just now updated in the same way as the alt right and neo Nazis. And we all know that they now just have computers and memes and stuff, but it's the same people who have latched onto these, you know, newer sort of, so at the moment it's, you know, no halal food and Sharia law and, you know, ban the burqa and whatever else it is, but it'll be something different, hopefully in, you know, 15, 20 years. Well, we had that case. Well, in hopefully London. it won't be something different, but I imagine it will be. Yeah. It'll probably. be some other group, the poor Amish trying to come over here, you know. Robots. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robots. Exactly. You've seen Westworld? It will be. Yeah. It'll, it'll be, be robots. robots. Yeah. Fucking robots. Yeah. <laughs> Coming in. They'll be sex workers. <laughs> yeah. To start with, heard a well. I read a great article the other day about how the big fear is if they are sex workers that they will probably fuck us to death, <laughs> because they will be a so good at having sex that we won't want to do anything but have sex with our sex robots. But secondly, that they won't get exhausted, so that we won't know our own capabilities and we're going to get fucked to death by our sex robots. I think there's someone who was it, Sherrod. Do you know Sherrod? Yeah, uh, I do. Yeah, Sherrod. Yeah. Uh, like he was on. Um... Uh, the Opie show. I haven't met him face to face yet. Actually, right. he only just started following us on Twitter, and I've I hear race wars all the time. Uh, and, but he said something about like, if I've got a robot in the house, I'm fucking it. Right. <laughs> like if I got, a ro- I'm fucking it. Well, I mean, he does have a robot in his house. There's like so many things I imagine already in his house are essentially robotic. <laughs> um, so I mean, he's just not fucking his TV he's just player not or whatever. His phone yet. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> yeah. As soon as I can fuck my phone, I'm fucking. I my mean, phone. I believe there is an attachment you can get, flashlight style, that you put on your phone, then you can fuck your phone. Really? Yeah, I think so. Well, why do you begin that with and, I believe? And to be honest, mate, if there isn't, there is now. There. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's the law of the world that if so, if I'm the first person who's thought of it, 
I'm not the first person who's every... thought of it. Whatever I've thought of, it's someone else has already thought of it, particularly if it has to do with fucking. Well, every bit of recent technology has been pushed forward by sex. Oh, that's true. No internet without porn. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, this is the thing about virtual reality. I mean, once they really nail that virtual reality porn world like there was this real slut shaming article in the daily telegraph which is the murdoch tabloid in sydney um the other day it was about cam girls you know women who make their living you know undressing on the internet essentially and it was like a front page story about these young australian girls who are being perverted by the internet but really what the story was about was these young women who owned their own sexuality and were earning like ten thousand dollars like a fortnight or whatever like in no way that like a young woman could you know and once virtual reality gets into that world, like those sort of people are going to have, you know, decent enough small businesses because people are going to want that experience, I think. Have I mean, you been in the Vive yet? HTC Vive? I, I look, I'm, I don't really, firstly, okay, here's, here's my main thing about virtual reality that I am uncomfortable with. Um, that I can't see other people in the room once I put it on. I have a real paranoia about being like blindfolded or having my eyes shut or whatever in a room full of other people doing uh, things. Then HTC Vive is your worst fucking nightmare. Right. So I would have it's to horrifying. I would have to know how to work it myself. Yeah. And then go into a room by myself, like lock the door from the inside so I know. Because if there's other people in the room when I'm doing that shit, I'm not into that. Well, it's gonna change the way people's lounge rooms are. People aren't gonna have a lounge room anymore. They're just gonna have a square space in their house because you can have your own cinema. You can have your own IMAX cinema. And yeah, uh, uh, my uh, wife's best friend, uh, Rob Yeskim, he's written, I think it was the, one of the first virtual reality films. And it's interesting that it's going to change the way that narrative is because the movie changes depending on which room you walk right. in. And uh, uh, that was like, I think he was working on that for about a year. But yeah, I tried his helmet and his understanding of this world is way beyond mine because he's, he's, he's written a narrative with that world in mind. And yeah, he just said like, it's, it's no one's room's going to look like this anymore. There's just, everyone's going to have a square box in their house. I mean, are we just going to be a bunch of people with like, you know, things over our heads masturbating while the world burns though? Probably. Yeah. (laughs) I guess if we can shut it out, (laughs) it's going to happen anyway. But back to the point racially. (laughs) What's your your virtual reality experience? (laughs) That my feet are dry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my house isn't on fire and my feet are dry. That's my virtual reality experience. <laughs> that everything was fine, that the planet isn't over. I'm still living in the last bit of the planet not being over. Anyway, I'm, I've got a virtual reality thing on my jet ski. I'm, je- I'm, not even, I'm on my jet ski. I'm not even looking at the water. <laughs> I'm, fucking... I'm in a desert. I've got shooting... a virtual reality of a desert in my head while I'm on a jet ski. I'm shooting fucking sharks up. <laughs> I'm Shana, who's fucking boss. King of the world. People <laughs> laughed at this jet ski when I got it, and now that the whole planet's water, I'm king of the ocean, mate. <laughs> so, uh, so back to Australian uh, racism, because every friend I've had that's moved back home like I went to dinner with a friend of our, uh, ours last night. He used to live in England as well. And she's like, "How's it back? Uh, uh, how is it being back in Australia?" And she's like, yeah, "It's great, super racist." Yeah. It's, it's, what do you mean, super racist? How does? Because here's the thing: it's out there. Australia is. Australia doesn't know when it's been. Australia racist. is a massively successful multicultural story. But, it is, but. It it is also known around the world as being super racist. But I live here. And, you know, I live a comfortable life amongst, you know, most, even though, even my audience, to a certain extent, you know, are rarely going to confront me with, you know, uncomfortable ideas or whatever. 
So I don't see it. So when you say it, I see Pauline Hanson talking about it and I hear right-wing radio hosts banging on about it. And of course, if you read any of Murdoch's, you know, poisonous, you know, you know, race-baiting rags, then you're going to see it. But on a day-to-day basis, when I talk to people, you know, I don't see it up close. So w- when you say it, what what do you mean? Okay. Uh, I think uh, it's very institutionalized here. Exactly. When you're in it, it's hard to spot it. Coon cheese. I mean, I did actually, funnily enough, I had this conversation with somebody like two days ago. I was just like, hey, we all know that that's not what it's named after. We all get that. But can we just stop doing that now? Yeah. Like, it's just at that point where it's like there was a stand in Queensland. There's actually a really great documentary about it, but it was called the, I'm going to get this wrong, but the Alfred, and I'm going to say the word because I, but. Anyway, the Alfred Nigger Brown Stadium. Oh, Nigger Brown Stadium, yeah. And and there was a real thing of like, well, that was his nickname and that blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, yeah I, I get all that. Yeah. I'm totally happy for all that to be true, but also let's just not now. Yeah. And same with the cheese. I know that that's not, but let's just stop calling one of our most popular cheeses after a really, really offensive racial uh, epithet. And, and I'll tell you how institutionalized it is, is the argument, of course, is, but it's his nickname, right? Or... yeah. But it's the family surname, right? Now, that's how institutionalized it is, is one white family right. is more important than 1.5 billion people on the planet. Yeah. And that's how and that's how endemic it is here. That's how much it's well, in it's our like, bones. Well, it's like when you approach like the idea behind like, you know, people randomly approaching women, men are randomly approaching women in the street or whatever. That sort of idea is like, you have decided that your right to talk to that person yeah. is more important than their right to feel safe from a stranger approaching them. Yeah. And, and, and every black person that ever comes here goes, holy fuck, this right. place doesn't muck around. No. But at the same time, every black comic I've ever known that's ever come here fucking loves the place. Uh-huh. Because there's something about it being out there that it's like, ah, at least I can't get disappointed. Right. Right. Uh, I remember speaking to American comics, Moshe Kasher, who we discussed before, uh, and Tom Segura, and I think Hannibal, the first time they came to the Melbourne Festival. And Melbourne industry uh, is very PC, right? The people that work at the Melbourne Festival, uh, if, a, if a comic steps, like uh, uh, from the outside looking in, sometimes an American comic will come and make an off-color joke or something, not really knowing the dynamic, and then be blackballed. But then they said that they just don't get talked to. Right. right, they don't know what they did wrong. Well, the other thing is that America talks about race in a very different way to Australia. Absolutely, talks about race. comedically, absolutely, yeah. but because everyone's in. Right, your first time you go to New York, you're like, "What the fuck?" But then you look around and you're going like, "Oh, every race is here, laughing their ass off." Yeah. Okay, different ball game. So, but they first arrived, right? So this is this is this is an organization or a, an industry, a, com- a comedy industry that is very PC, but won't tell you what the boundaries are, right. and you won't know until you've gone over it. Uh, and then no one will go like, listen here, that's a little bit how you're going. They'll just be like, you fucked up. Like, cause also that feeds into the idea of Australia really fears failure. Australia really fears humiliation when like, uh, like you said, that sense of entitlement when we lose at the sport or the cricket, I actually started watching like it's from the outside looking in. It's like a bit of an international joke that you watch Australian breakfast telly. What's that guy's name? Koshi. Koshi. Yeah. When Australia lost the cricket or the swimming or something, he was baffled. Right. He was like, what? What are they doing? Mate, we didn't come. It's a sporting event. I think we came like fifth at the Olympics or sixth at the Olympics in gold medals. And there was literally calls of like, we should shut down the rest of Australia and sort this shit out. Yeah, yeah. Why are we not doing well at swimming? Mate, we are. Yeah, yeah. We're doing really well at swimming. We came second to like the Americans. (laughs) 
Do you know, rank the countries in the world. We are nailing this exceptionally. Why are you so upset we came second? I've, I've yet to encounter a member of comedy industry in this country that's able to spot when a comic is smarter than the room. I've, I've died on stage here and I've walked backstage and the industry looks at me like I'm the biggest leper ever. Like, why'd you do that? And I'm like, they were fucking idiots. Yeah, right. How, whoa, 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 whoa. You're making your money off the back of this. You should automatically be on my side. Right, it's 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 strange here that industry behaves like talent. I don't think talent should act like it's talent, but I think industry should act like it's talent even less. Uh, and the, but they're like, what do you? I think our national slogan should be, "What do you do that for? <laughs> what are you wearing that for?" And I think it might be because there's so many poisonous things, and there's a million ways to die. So but we fear is, surprises. I mean, there is that attitude. I'm like, it, look out, the fucking you'll die. There was a. There, it was interesting. Don't do anything fucking unexpected. <laughs> The reason I don't read my uh, at replies is like I then get obsessed with like things that people say for days. And the other day when I was like posting something else, I literally saw one reply. This will give you a good example of why in a, as in a general sense, I don't do it. So I just tweeted because there was an editorial in the, in, the t- in the paper that had said, essentially it was somebody arguing that teachers have too many left-wing views and they're filling kids' heads with like, you know, left-wing views. And so I just tweeted, I said, well, if... They're worried about them having left, left-wing views. Why don't you pay them a base salary of $300,000 a year and see if that changes their mind, right? Because it did with the tradies in Australia, you know, once they started oh. earning different, decent coin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone, so, everyone turned into, fuck you, I got mine real fast, didn't right. they? So, you know, so I thought That's it was... a great joke. It was, That's you know, a great was, joke. But this one person, like, you know, was hit me up and they go, oh, is that all you do, mate? Just look at things and make jokes. Is that what you're contributing? <laughs> and I was like... Yeah, literally, that is the definition of what I'm contributing. Like, but it was like, literally, they were upset that I had just done what is what the only reason why you would follow me. What do you just follow me for the podcast plugs? Just big fan of the. Like, you big fan of the articles I like, right? Like, I mean, come on, mate. So what are you going to do? I'm upset. Ass? You did your job. Oh, what are you going to do, mate? Like turn it into a longer routine and then stand on stage in front of people <laughs> and then charge them money to hear your jokes about it, are you? <laughs> One of my favourite heckles I ever heard was it was apparently the comedy store. I think it was maybe to Ian Stone. Some bloke stormed out and as he fucking kicked through the double doors, he goes, "This is shit. You're just fucking telling jokes and people are laughing." <laughs> yeah, I had a heckle once in 2003. It's actually on an album. Uh, where the guy, as he left, he goes, this is just shit. You're just working from a script you've written in your head. And I was like, yeah, that's yeah. that's what's impressive about it. Like, thank you. Thank you for noticing. I've worked on this. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. What's going on? <laughs> what's, it should be, the Australian national slogan should be, what are you wearing that for? Yeah. What? And what's going on? What are you doing there? So I think maybe that's, yeah. I think we are like national, national, uh, forgive me if it sounds like shtick, but there's something in the fact that there's a thousand things that can kill you, which is why sometimes uh, wordplay jokes don't go over quite so well here. Anything where people have to work to find the punchline, uh, because Britain is uh, British comedy is super PC, yeah, and consequently that has led to really good wordplay and but also a great tradition of wordplay. I mean, if you look at you know the. I mean, if you're looking at the different influences of the cultures, you know, yeah. which is why I've always thought that Australian comedians can travel quite well because we were raised both on the British and American. Yes. And they kind of have just formed into one a bit more. But, and so no one get... really hates us. And people don't know enough about us. Well, New Zealand. 
Yeah, New Zealand, I always find about the first 10 minutes, they're like, fuck you for that Trevor Chapel underarm in 1981. We're Are still, they really? Yeah, there's a little bit of that in New Zealand. Overseas, I think there's more of a bond because of the Anzacs thing and they get oh, confused with being us. I mean, we do so many gigs together overseas. Yeah. I mean, hating Australians was a running joke in Flight of the Concords as well. And I enjoyed that joke every time. <laughs> I, do, I do as well. It's funny, you know what? You remember the Simpsons episode of the Australian? Oh, one of my favourite episodes of anything ever. It bothered me at first. Because they didn't make any effort to get it right. Yes. My favourite thing about it. Exactly. The fact that like they don't, that everyone's wearing wigs, the Prime Minister in the dam, Mr. Prime Minister. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. It bothered me the first time and then the second time I watched it in the middle, they said Australia didn't realise that we that America wasn't going to be interested in them for that long and refused to learn anything about right. them. So uh, it was hilarious that they made that joke. It's so meta in the middle of that. Of, by the way, any of you bothered? Uh, we don't really give a fuck about you. You're just kind of cute. It's given me a, an amazing capacity in America to talk about America because I always talk about Australia like, yeah, because essentially we are signed up. Our entire, like, foreign defense policy is whatever America reckons. Yeah. Like, yeah. we have essentially made a Faustian deal with America because China is right next to us and that, you know, so we have just gone, you know what? Our our policy is we'll support all your dickhead ideas <laughs> and at some stage, if we need you, you've got to come, you know, for us. That's our entire policy, And right? comedically, they accept the criticism because you're not British. Right. And because you can come in from that angle. But it's the only place where I can talk about racism because it's the only country where I can like literally go, you guys are racist. Like I, I get a small insight, like you know, Outback Steakhouse and all the shit they think about Australia is nothing like what Australia's like. No. So they have this idea, like what they love, the Australia they love is not Australia. No. They have this made the up Black idea. Americans fucking love us. Yeah. I, I, I had a gag of the, because the, they have no idea what we did to in the indigenous community. None. <laughs> Right. They love us. Well, the secret is to kill them all so the word doesn't get out. <laughs> that's how you stop it from spreading around. That's your, that's your trick. <laughs> the secret is yeah. a little bit, quite a bit of genocide. Uh, heaps of it. And then uh, massive amounts of political correctness around it so it never gets discussed. Well, I mean, denial around it. Like, but institutional denial. This is the, when, we, when it comes up, and we may have discussed this last time, but it's always that thing of the argument will be made, well, that wasn't us. And it wasn't us. And I can even like have that argument and we can talk through, you know, personal responsibility and those sort of things. But the truth of it is the last bad thing that was done to the indigenous, <coughs> the indigenous people in this country wasn't done 230 years ago. No, it was done 23 seconds ago Yeah, and 23 seconds ago from now. And yeah. tw you know what I mean? Like those problems are still prevalent in our society. So I don't care what, like, I mean, literally, I can take your argument of that wasn't us who did it back then, but it's us that are part of what is being done to them right now. And so that alone is something that is worth addressing. Craig has got a wonderful so. joke about it, because uh, I'm everything he hates. We're a really reluctant double act. Uh -huh. I uh, like it. And No, actually, you're, you're like most double acts secretly. <laughs> but, it's, but it's on stage. Yeah. Yes. Completely yeah. reluctant on yeah, stage. Yeah, normally off stage, um, everything, everything that hates. the other person hates. And, uh, but the thing is, it's, we want to just, our, our only goal is to get black Australians and white Australians in the same room laughing. Oh. That's it. And you think that's pretty simple, don't you? But wow. it's actually proving harder than, uh, than you'd imagine. And no, also, so. the stuff I'm getting sent by proxy, not by proxy, by association uh -huh. from the left and the right from supposedly politically correct organizations uh the subtext is so uncomfortable but what, what sort of thing things like because we want to go and do shows out in indigenous communities uh -huh. right 
Also, I, I should just put on the record because I, when I speak about this, I think it's worth saying that I, one of the largest Indigenous communities in Australia is in the, like, in a, west of Sydney. Like, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes when we talk about Indigenous people in Australia, yeah. you know, the thing that we make the mistake of doing particularly is, you know, white people is thinking of Indigenous people as being only the Indigenous people of the bush or living in you know, yes. that situation, whereas, like, a huge community of Indigenous people, you know, yeah. live in the cities, who live, you know, 15 minutes in an Uber from here. Yes. Yeah. And in Perth as well. Right. To the extent where, well, that was what was so interesting is I'd been looking through rose-tinted glasses because every time I went home, I went to my mum's house in the hills. Closest shopping centre is Midland Shopping Centre. And I'd see black people, white people walking around. Not a big deal. And I thought, oh, we moved on. And then I'd talk about Midland uh, in front of audiences and they'd all start snickering. And I never knew why. And it was because it's 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 not a policed ghettoized area, but it is a ghettoized area. And it's it's no mate, that's just Midland. So whilst there is an area, it's still kind of ghettoized in Sydney. In is it Redfern? Is yeah, it Redfern? Yeah. But now is like well, the interesting thing about Redfern is Redfern is now also the hippest, most gentrified part of Sydney. It was traditionally, you know, you had the block and you know a huge indigenous community from all socioeconomic levels, you know, yeah. living in that part of Sydney. But it's now become incredibly. I mean, it cost you you know a million dollars minimum to buy a you know little you know two bedroom anywhere in Redfern now or around Redfern you know but there is still so i don't know what has happened to that community that was at the heart there whether they still exist in the middle of that or whether they have been moved as you know that there's been a kind of migration and they've been pushed to somewhere else i'm i i'm not aware en enough of that to speak about it i wouldn't but i know that redfern now is you know there was parts of redfern in the old days that you just it's wouldn't even Harlem really, now yeah yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, it's hip and it's, and I mean, it's so close to the inner city and, you know, what tends to happen is normally those communities are then moved on or moved out or moved to somewhere else. But wow. I mean, you know, it, I just think it's always worth when we talk about this, particularly as, you know, two white guys talking about racism, you know, yeah. <laughs> two allies try to save everything. Um, <laughs> Getting noticed in the middle of a travesty. Yeah, is that... Selling a better version of ourselves than the one that exists. <laughs> uh, do you still have some time? We've done an hour and four minutes. What's your time schedule I've got here? Okay, let's have a pause because I was just uh, choking on something so I should get a drink so that I don't continue to do that for the next 30 minutes. Me too. And, uh, is that okay? You're yeah, okay no, carrying? no, and then I'll just pause it and we'll get back in on it. We're back. We had a break. We had a substantial break, actually. We had a little break. Yeah. Um, I did not go to the bathroom, which... Um, You're I, now regretting? Well, here's the thing. Normally, in a podcast, like, people have written in. You know when you do a podcast, people write into you about the most, like, crazy stories of their life and share things. It's quite an amazing experience, really. Sometimes you're not quite prepared for it. Sometimes if you release an episode where you talked about something, like someone talked about their mental illness or something, you'll get suddenly for the next few weeks, like a lot of people sharing their stories and you're like, oh, I wasn't actually really prepared like, for this idea that like I'd be getting all these stories. And then sometimes you get unsolicited medical advice. You ever heard of those like things where someone diagnoses a lump on someone's neck or something because they saw them on the news? And yeah. Uh, people think that I have like some sort of issue because I go to the toilet too much. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so they're letting you know. Yeah. So I think I just drink a lot. I'm a big Aren't you liquid just guy. Well, I mean, I think that's what it is. I'm 42, nearly 43. So I've got my natural sort of, you know, going to the bathroom tendencies. But also I am, I drink a lot and people do go, maybe you, maybe like that's a problem. But I've been to the doctor and stuff. They don't seem to think it is. I thought like UFC athletes go like every 45 minutes because they drink so much water. So 
Yeah, and I am like <laughs> a UFC athlete. athlete. You're not. You, a, you're not a. You're, it's funny. Let's while we're on that because we'll get back to this other stuff. We've got some interesting stuff to talk about. But um, on the UFC because you invited me to a fight the other day. Was it a UFC fight or was it a, was it a UFC boxing? fight? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I don't do. I don't fuck with the UFC. Why? It's interesting because like so many comics and so many comedians I know and admire and like. You know Daniel Sloss, who's a mate of mine, who's a yeah. big UFC fan as well, and Nick Cody's a big UFC fan. Joe Rogan. Obviously, is massive into the UFC and stuff like that. Well, he is the UFC. Well, right. I I find it um, it it does not have any of the things I enjoy about sport in it. What? Yeah, it's the purest sport. No, I don't like it. It's over too quick for a start. A lot of the time, like I don't want to like if I'm like looking forward to a like a big event. Like if I went to the grand final to see my team play in the football grand final, and it was over in thirty 40 seconds. seconds. Really? Yeah, I'd be like, no, nah, you can't don't appreciate like that. an insane knockout. I can appreciate it, but it's not what I want in my entertainment dollar. It's well, not what I'm going out Ronda for. Ronda Rousey got cleaned up. I like the stories. Like I like the. See, here's the thing. I'm aware of the fact that Ronda Rousey was the undisputed champ for ages and then she had a fight and she lost in unexpected and she hasn't really been able to rebuild her career and now they're talking about her retiring. I know all the stories. I know who Conor McGregor is. I know all this. Never seen a UFC fight. I've seen highlights. I've seen bits and pieces and I have no interest. It's just one of those things where I'm just like, I don't want to know. It's too violent for me. It's super violent. When the men do it, I always think they should be fucking at the end. It always feels like some sort of violent foreplay that like they really want to fuck each other and but they're just kicking each other instead. It just doesn't feel quite The first time you see it, it's definitely very oiled up. Yeah. Like I like the UFC and wrestling. And my wife says there's way too much naked male writhing on your I see I love the wrestling, as you know. Like and I but I always love all the comical stories, the wrestling and the fact that even though they're super athletes and of course they are fighting and doing all these super dangerous things, it's also like a choreographed story, and at the end of the day, that's, that's why the UFC got me as well. As they 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 completely based their business model on WWE. They right. had promos, they had stories, they used the Ultimate Fighter to tell stories and build characters, and so there's that there, there is that storytelling element too. Yeah, it. I don't really like the bit where they hurt each other <laughs> really? violently, really quickly, See, and all the people baying for the blood. It just feels like we've got enough problems in the world. Can't we just be a bit nicer? Okay. <laughs> I would argue that actually you ban soccer and that gets rid of that problem. Ban soccer and have everyone watch UFC. There's never a fight. I mean, I would I would say combine the two. Arena. I would I would be happy for some happy medium. Bring a little more on the pitch. Here's here's my argument. I would be happy for soccer players to fall over if they actually got kicked like they did in the UFC. No one goes home and beats their wife after a UFC event. Nah. I'll tell you why. Allegedly. Okay. <laughs> Domestic violence goes through the roof. Do, a lot of the game. don't a lot of the UFC fighters go home and beat their wives no. though. I've read a whole bunch of stuff There's about one how, guy and yeah. he was he was ejected from the UFC. And a lot of them have pretty sus like you know opinions on the world and life and stuff no, like that. No, that's boxing. As well. Well, boxing Klitschko. Too. Do you mean the Klitschko guy, whatever? The- well, I mean, and Manny Pacquiao. And, but a lot of the <clears> UFC <throat> fighters have a lot of sort of alt-right sort of, you know, extreme libertarian sort of, you know, you think? views about the world. Well, only in what I've seen and read. Again, I'm only taking this from the information that I've taken. I was going to say, there's a shitload of vegans. By the way, I also, of course, live in a world where my... Like, I'm probably very guilty of in this argument of confirmation bias, which is that I do not like UFC, so I therefore you search out articles yeah, that confirm reckon. my view yeah, of yeah, why I don't yeah, like I got the it UFC. Right. Yeah. It's well, like, this Guardian article has summarized my opinions on the <laughs> UFC. Because <laughs> I would argue that someone goes to soccer and watches uh, a pro athlete get yeah. tripped 
and have him cling his get his fucking knee. Yeah. And they wander home afterwards, like they wander out afterwards, going, "You can beat a bloke up yeah. by fucking kicking him in the leg. I'm the hardest cunt ever. I'm gonna go and bash my wife." Right. Whereas you go to the UFC and you watch John Jones finish the round with a with the with the bone sticking out of his toe, and you go, right. "I'm a fucking pussy. I better okay. what? I better buy my wife flowers." Okay, here's the first thing. <laughs> let's let's just not have any excuses for bashing your wife, no matter how boring the sport that you follow is. I am not excusing. Don't go home. I, I hate soccer. No, I go. I mean, to me too. And the reason I think people get violent in soccer is they realize they've gone to something for ninety minutes and nothing happened. <laughs> that like too. I understand. That's like massive. Like that's like you know, ninety minutes of foreplay and then being like okay time to go home now i get that you're going home with a little spring in your step that nature has put there and it's not your fault you're feeling some feelings that you can't control um the ufc is a little bit like i've come in my pants prematurely (laughs) (laughs) too much you know the ufc to me is like a porn hub clip you know you're getting straight to the fucking like i like the story in fact yeah Uh, you know the hulk hogan gorka clip yeah. Okay, so you know that Hulk Hogan scandal of he had there a was sex a sex tape, tape out for, for two years. Yeah. For two years, that tape was out there before someone revealed there was a racist tirade. How much of an indication is that that people fast forward a sex tape? Right. That he, he dropped several N-bombs at the beginning and it took two years before some guy who's obviously watched it a million right. times went, I'm going to watch this from the start. I'm going to watch the bills. Yeah, I want some content. I need to see the bills. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to slow down and I'm going to watch that Chris Rock uh, DVD that's in the background of the Paris Hilton tape. <laughs> it's always my favorite moment of that tape was the fact that they were watching like a Chris Rock stand-up DVD at the same time. I'm like, is that always what you watch? Is that like what gets you? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I need to see the bills. <laughs> And I always feel like, what What if you're Chris Rock? That's when you know you're super famous, right? Like when you're like, everyone's like, hey, have you seen the Paris Hilton sex tape? And it, like you put it on and you're like, hang on, they're watching my DVD. <laughs> it's my special. <laughs> have you seen it? You're in it. <laughs> and and how much of a comic is he that he would probably, I bet you any money when he found out. He was like, which bit? Yeah, which bit? <laughs> Why were they watching? Why were they, hang on. You're saying that my stuff is so forgettable that you can have sex while it's on? You're meant to be paying attention to that. I crafted that. I would have thought it's my stuff is so hot. Right. People just have to go. Fucking. Just got to stop fucking. I'd love the idea that my bit got people randy and fucked in the middle of it. It's better than a standing ovation, isn't it? If people are just like, you know what? Just hang on. Clap what you want. I need cum shots. We've just got to. I want to be jizzy at the end. Right. I remember like early Umbilical Brothers, first Edinburgh they did. Their version of an average gig was so much more than like they'd say, ah, oh, that sucked. And I mean, they got a standing ovation. Right. And I remember saying to them, you're just not happy. And unless people are throwing their cum at you. Right. And like, it's, uh, you know what? There was only some cum. That's why you do it. That's why I do a lot of prison gigs. I was going to say, actually, <laughs> people always flick their cum on. at you. Wait a minute. I'm pretty sure that's no. what monkeys do at you. Right. <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of gigs at the zoo and prison. <laughs> I went to prison. This is oh, what yes. I was going to bring okay, up. Okay, you were saying. So in Western Australia, uh, my friend Jared McKenna, uh, who uh, is a, a Christian, and uh, we've had some great discussions. I, I, he's the God botherer that I don't mind being God bothered by. Like, okay, because he's, he's a good egg. He's a, one of the most brilliant blokes you'll ever meet in your entire life, you know, and uh, you know lives his life by the values of Jesus Christ. And yeah. I've never really had a problem with people who live their life by the values of Jesus Christ. He's all right, isn't he? It's the people who ignore the shit that Jesus said and make up their own shit and put it in there that tend to be the problem most of and the time. And paint him white. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, Jesus himself seemed like a guy that I would happily podcast with at the yeah. very least. Pretty cool brown guy, I reckon. feel like we'd be on the same page on a lot of issues. If he looks a, a lot browner than the photos. Right, yeah. It's like, yeah, that'd be my first question. So, Jesus, the photos, what's the deal? <laughs> so, Jesus, <laughs> how come you're not looking like a fucking Brit abroad on in Spain? Like all pink and just like making this noise. <laughs> <sighs> fucking, it's a bit muggy, isn't it? <laughs> it's very dry. It's a dry very heat. Dry heat. It's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. It's a dry heat on the cross. <laughs> So your Christian friend took you to a prison. <laughs> he took me to a prison. So it's a private prison now. So initially I feel I'm conflicted about that because uh, I've you know, read a lot of stuff around the prison system. And I mean, all you have to do is do any research, like any at all, to understand how systematically racist you know, prisons are around the world. Like in America, you know, what black people will be sent to prison for as opposed to about what white people in the same situations will be sent to prison for in Australia predominantly indigenous people you know percentage-wise in our prisons uh including this one whereas th- the population i think of western australia indigenous is like three or four percent and the population at prison indigenous is like 30 percent. so there's got to be two things that you can think there either you can believe that indigenous people are just a lower form of life than white people and they are just more likely to be criminals and they're more likely to just not be able to fit into society or whatever which is apparently what some people I guess, do believe, right? Um, or you've got to go, something is so totally wrong with our system that we are producing these results from the system. So I'm sceptical about going to something that rewards this, that is a private enterprise. But Jared had said, no, 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 these guys genuinely, what their big mission is, they don't want people to be prisoners for life. Their whole mission is they want to prepare people for a life that is outside this prison. Norwegian. Right. And the Norwegian prison system. Part of what they're doing is a so a comedy course. So they have a little comedy theater and they do like it's much more like theater sports, to be honest. But they get so part of it is like, you know, a lot of these people don't have good social skills or they haven't been able to like, you know, part of like using humor and reclaiming what you've done so that when you go out into the outside world again, you'll be able to handle situations and whatever. And they put on these shows, you know. So like I got how often does he do this? So I got invited in to kind of be part of well, just to come and watch them really to a certain extent, but because they were playing like improvised games and stuff, I jumped up on stage with them. We played some games together. We like, you know, did some scenes together. We, you know, kind of made some laughs. Really interesting because there's certain things that they're not allowed to riff about. You know, they can't do sexual situations. They can't, you know, swear. They can't sort of, you know, this because they've got rules. So they've got rules on top of, you know, their rules. Right. Uh, But it was one of those things where, the experience, like afterwards when I was speaking to people, um, they were saying it's their favorite time of the week because when you're in a comedy club making people laugh, you could be in any comedy club in the entire world. You don't have to be in prison for a bit. Like, you know, and so they do all these courses and it's part of, but the thing is they said it's very hard to get indigenous people involved. And the reason that was explained to me, and I don't want to speak on behalf of other people, but the reason that was explained to me was that shame is such a big factor in in the indigenous community yep. that you don't want to be made to be looking like an idiot or like to be kind of mocking things or whatever. Speaking in public, huge taboo. So it prevents them from... Well, imagine if there's a taboo in your society for 
speaking in public or having yeah. your opinion or saying things out loud. Imagine how hard that makes it to then get a job or to represent yourself well if somebody's questioning you in an uncomfortable situation or if an authority figure, whether you're in a police, like, you know, talking to a policeman or if you're in a court or you have to deal with a social worker or you have to do, like, you may not have, like, in your culture, the actual structure to be able to to do those things. So what they're trying to do at the moment is like bridge that gap because they would love obviously to have more indigenous people involved, you know, in this program and doing this program. It was also, a pretty amazing, I mean, it was a stunning experience like to see it up close and to see what being in prison is actually, and this was a nice prison, but even then you're still very aware of the fact that you are like, I had a panic button on me because I'm amongst everybody, you know, and like, they were like, you know, if you ever feel uncomfortable, if anyone gets close to you, you just push this button and bang guards would be like, they're ready. And you're like, oh yeah, right. Okay. I guess like, you know, that's, we're in prison. And but, did that, did that act, uh, embolden or very much remind you of, whoa, I mean, oh, it could go down. I mean, cause my attitude to everything is just relaxed. And yeah. sometimes perhaps too relaxed. You know, sometimes like yeah. I just go, oh, this will be fine. I haven't thought this through at all. I'm there with Jared. What could go wrong? You know. Who was it that someone said comedy is like a backstage pass to the world? Right. Might have been Dana Gould. Uh, uh, that's definitely one of those instances where you've got a backstage pass to the world through being funny. Right. Of just getting... Because also to that point, uh, oh, by the way, my favorite moment was this old fella who was a great improviser and very fun. And he actually came up to Jared afterwards to just say, hey, I just wanted to say that I am a, a Christian as well. And I appreciate, you know, what you say. He goes, look, I was also a drug smuggler. <laughs> <laughs> you see the thing Jeff Ross did where he roasted prison uh, yeah, and cops right. and he wants to get them together. Yeah. Of... Uh, uh, oh, we put a pin in that, didn't we? You know how I said, go like, on. by proxy. So saying that I wanted to go out and do shows in Indigenous communities, because that's the premise of the show, is when I do sets, it's where I'm the ethnic minority in the room. Yeah. And I thought, I can't do that and not address my own dynamic. And just suggesting to the ABC that maybe we wanted to go and do that and talk to Screen West and so on, some of the feedback and the language that people used, like, why not just try and recreate d-day you'd be better off going to beirut things like that oh really yeah and i was like wait aren't you a pc organization like this is what the fuck um and again <laughs> it's a joke craig does in the show about uh because people were suspicious of our relationship that the, the, there is such a chasm between us that people couldn't fathom serendipity that actually i just met a guy was supposed to interview him for one episode and we became friends and people can't fathom that. Uh, they're wondering what he's getting out of it. They're wondering what I'm getting out of it. And it's just that we actually shared a similar sense of humor. And it turns out we've got really good chemistry. Also, what we, I mean, why are you not allowed to get something out of it? Uh, well, uh, he was <laughs> Why suspicious. is that? But why is that a thing that is even like, I understand if one person is exploiting another person or whatever. But the idea that yeah, good things only come with the idea that you don't also get something out of it. I mean, surely you get a greater understanding, a greater ability to communicate to people at the very least. That's my motivation. But you have to understand is that a lot of people try and befriend an Aboriginal person to get a grant. And that's what he was skeptical of. 
Right. Interesting. Of, uh, because he's like, uh, you know, I've been going two years. Why is this fucking guy that's been going 20 want to talk to me? And it's like, because that's the premise of my show and everyone told me I need to meet you. Right. You uh, are applying for a grant though, right? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reminded of Larry. You should just have like a guy called Grant who just comes <laughs> you know, out every night. This is our Grant. It's Grant Kenny. In every city, you get like a different celebrity Grant. Grant Denya from uh, Family Feud. You can find a local celebrity Grant. You, you make that joke and then the Grant, Grant comes walks out. out. We got our own. Yeah, there's our Grant. Stan Grant. Yeah, it's Stan Grant. He'd do it. There you go. <laughs> Do you remember, like, do you remember when he used to host a current affair that he was a lot lighter shaded? And I was like, and I asked, was he lit from underneath? He was. He was lit from underneath so that he'd be lighter skinned. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now it's, uh, uh, uh that Australia couldn't stomach the idea of a brown guy hosting a current affair. Well, I mean, they did such a good job that I'm pretty sure that no one knew that Stan Grant was a brown guy until about two years ago. No, exactly. And he like, uh, because he'd never been like, and I understand why, because his attitude was like, I'm just going to go out there and, you know, what I'm going to do on behalf of, you know, if he thought about this at all, which I think he probably did, was I'm just going to be me and a great example of me. And by being that and also being Indigenous, that will in itself be enough of a statement. And I don't think you have to demand anything more than that of people. You know, that can be enough. But he's obviously in the last couple of years, Stan Grant decided that he wants to play more of a role than that and to have bigger discussions than that. I believe his argument was, I can get so much more done. Right. Of... Uh, I made the mistake with Craig referring to him as an Indigenous comedian. And he goes, don't do that. And I went, but I have... Uh, Sammy C on I call him a gay Singaporean comedian he goes you don't understand you call me an indigenous comedian I'm then the indigenous comedian yeah right I'm a comedian who happens to be aboriginal and I didn't get it at first until you know how sometimes it takes a cunt to do something that you've done and then you see the way the cunt does it and you go, oh, right, now I get it. Because that guy's a cunt and he did it in a cunty way. Oh, mate, I, I literally, so often the way that I behave to other people has only been solely influenced by somebody else behaving in a way that I used to behave and me not liking it when I saw it on them. Yeah, and I go, <laughs> well, that guy's a prick. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> well, Hang on. And I totally, I totally got it once I saw it in action of someone in the press in Britain referred to him as Indigenous comedian and then, and then said nothing else about him. Right. And I was like... Oh, oh, I get it. So, and that means also that he will always just have to discuss race. You know, he can't have a fucking, he can't have a bit on microphones or toasters. Well, I mean, Tom Ballard, who we've mentioned already, (laughs) is like somebody who is gay and clearly often talks about the fact, you know, that he's gay, but his act isn't certainly, you know, what maybe 20 years ago, what you would imagine a gay comedian would be, where they predominantly saw everything through the filter of being gay yes like tom that's not tom's thing and that's a different thing as well like you know i think i'm probably if you said a gay comedian tom bella that he would probably be like well i'm a comedian and i am also gay so that that will probably come up because you know yeah but but you know so i can imagine that's gonna happen but that's the luxury (laughs) that's the privilege i guess of again being the cultural norm is that you don't ever have those things tacked on yes to interestingly now that I've embraced it and I call the show Dumb White Guy and I do everything from the point of view of dumb white guy questions. Shit white guys don't know. That's the premise, right? Because of that, I get to do bits that would be hack 
And anyone else's, I had a 20 minute bit on periods uh-huh. because I remember seeing. Uh, Full stops, a, you mean? Uh, sorry? Full stops, all right. <laughs> I remember seeing. Wordplay, Brendan. It's a British concept. We took I it from the Britain. British. Fucking sick of puns. I don't. You know what? Four candles. Puns shit me. <laughs> you've come to the wrong podcast, my Fucking friend. Fucking puns shit me. Because it's just everyone's got. Well, you've got a. I, I know you do it with the will. I've thing. got a billion of them. Yeah, but it's. Because it's every poster has a pun on it, and there are some guys that do nothing but puns, and uh, and also because I do believe it's born of. There are so many taboos in the UK that uh, so many taboos. But then, as I said, the audiences have gotten wider, and then everyone ends up doing fucking puns, right? And it's you can't address the Asian community because they're just not in anymore, right? And so I've got a bit of a bugbear about it that I see a guy do a pun. And every North American and American act feels the same way I do. Of like at the Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Festival is so much punning. Oh, when they do those top ten jokes of the Edinburgh Festival, oh, they're always the most tortured, horrible puns. And the delivery like, in people's heads is shit. Oh, like, it's like it's, it's, it's clever wordplay. I see what you did. And it's yeah. like it's a fucking crossword puzzle. Right, this is not our job. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> our job is maybe a slight home truth with the fucking volume turned up. Sure. I hope. Um, but yes, by by embracing the dumb white guyness, by letting the crazy moron speak, I then you said you, it, it, we never get labelled straight white comic. Yet, if you do, and you uh, and you embrace that and you address it, uh, it is you're almost obligated to do everything else. That if a gay guy just talked about being gay, right? He's the gay guy that does gay jokes, mm-hmm. right? If you're a black guy that talks about being black, then it's like, oh, he just talked about being black. Uh, yet, the license I now have off the back of doing this, I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't know what it means. Well, isn't, I mean, and look, and this is the thing that we think about a lot as comedians, and I'm not sure that I have like a good answer to this question, but uh, uh, the idea of legitimate experience is what actually appeals to me. Like, I don't actually care what it is that you're talking about. I think what I care the most about is is it a legitimate experience for the person who's saying it? So for example, what shits me to tears is like the generic style of comedy. If you were to say, what comedy do I hate? It's a guy who hates his wife on stage, but probably doesn't hate his wife. I'm like, what world do you live in where your actor is hating your wife? Like, why was that your artistic choice that you're going to make your living finding the person that you love most in the world and they're just hating them. But then I see someone like Mike Wilmot, do that sort of thing and take he takes that to a an artistry and a different level where you learn something about yourself and love and human beings and well doing... it's he's terrified of her right but all that you know so there's no hard and fast rule on these things if someone has a legitimate connection i'll watch mike talk about those sort of things 24 hours a day but in anybody else's hand not so much i i dylan moran is my favorite comedian my the person that if i had to watch someone every single night of the week i'd go and watch him every single night of the week and a lot of the time he just talks about getting fat or stopping smoking or like, you know, his relationship, like just normal, the most normal, like, you know, hack shit in the world. There is no hack premise only application. But he's like, the way that he talks about those things is like grand artistry to me. Like, you know, he, he brings those things alive in a way that I was thinking about this in relation to airline food the other day. Yeah. The ultimate hacky, you know, the airline food tastes terrible. That's the hackiest joke of all time. If people talk about hacky jokes, right. But to the first person who pointed out on stage that airline food was terrible, 
that was a great revelation because up until that point, everyone had noticed, yeah. but no one had said it. They were the person who was saying what everybody had thought. It only became hacky because so many people noticed it. Ironically, airline food is much worse now than it used to be. So actually, you could do a whole revisionist bit about how good airline food was in the old days when people used to say it was Pat shit. Pat Oswald did a 20-minute bit on airline food, I didn't did, he? Yeah. Just to prove. That you can. Yeah. And that's the point. If I, if I feel like you have a connection to it, the artist, the person on stage... In the same way as you can be talking about something that I'm totally fascinated about, but if I don't feel like you're fascinated about it, then I'm not going to be interested in it. Maybe that's it, is I'm obsessed. Right, and I think that's the trick. I'm obsessed That's the with key race. to unlocking it. And, and maybe... Uh, certainly, every act I've spoken to doesn't ever feel disarmed. First of all, it seems to be... There's a sense of relief that someone is... But not only that, because it, it seems to be, particularly on the issue of race, that it, it's fallen into, we've lost nuance. And the the only real discussion we ever seem to have now is either everything's racist or racism doesn't exist. Right. Uh, Neither of which can be possibly true. Yeah, exactly. Not everything is racist. <laughs> no. Lots of things are racist. I'm willing to admit that. Coonchie, super racist. That, definitely. Definitely <laughs> right up the top of the list. I remember talking to Tom about saying certain stuff is gay. Oh, did you see the thing on Top Gear about... No, oh. is the answer to that, because I don't watch Top Gear. Neither do I, but it We can viral. put it in my UFC bin. Yeah. My bin has UFC and I Top agree Gear with in you. it. Now, uh, but Richard Hammond said he doesn't eat ice cream. It was just, they're sitting around bantering, whatever. Uh-huh. Right? And, and he says, um, I don't eat ice cream on the part of being straight. And then, what's his name? Uh, the big ho- the host guy yeah. punched the guy. The other guy. Fucking, what's his name? Jeremy someone. Yeah, Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah. And he goes, are you saying ice cream is gay? Right? And then a lot of comics jumped on him and said, Richard Hammond, Hammond thinks fucking ice cream is gay. It's homophobic, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Ice cream is fucking gay. Is it? Who doesn't love ice cream? I mean, the golden gay time is pretty gay, but... It's just fucking gay ass. You yeah. know what's heterosexual? Ribs. Right? Yeah. Well, is it? Now, or is that just... I think by calling ice cream gay, uh-huh. that's a, that's the polar opposite of homophobia because who doesn't love ice cream? Right. Rainbows are fucking gay. Um, yeah, okay. I'm happy with that. Because yeah. even the gay people, Given they, the, they've claimed the rainbow. You know what? They've claimed, the, they've claimed yeah. the rainbow. Who doesn't love a rainbow? Yeah, sure. You know what? Well done. You turn the rainbow into gay and it kind of made things kind of happy and cheery. And, and Tom and I were getting back into this and going, you still say some things are so gay. It's like, yeah, I do, because some, you know what? Mardi Gras, super fucking gay. Well, Mardi Gras is gay. Yeah. By its very definition, it's gay. Yeah. I'm still not sure about ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Ma- you come up with an ice cream called Mardi Gras, super gay. What about the Maxi Bond? Maxi Bond's like a manly ice cream. That's not a, that's not a gay ice no, cream. No, that's like fucking two blokes dressed as biker cops going at each other. Which, um, by the way, that can fuck off. Okay. I don't care how homophobic you think I am. That's narcissism. When you see two leather blokes... That look exactly the same. I want to fuck myself. Uh-huh. Pretty sure gay people go, mate, come on. <laughs> I mean... You're letting the side down. Come on. Yeah, I okay. guess. Okay. I mean, it's blue on blue, I suppose. It's blue yeah. on blue. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the, the leather guys that have... Yeah, I know the guys. The, 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 I mean, you got to have confidence to wear that outfit, though. Okay, but I'm saying if you date a bloke that looks exactly like you... Okay. Here's, okay. here's, what, here's my thought on this. Um, because I agree with all this, of course, in the same way as I agree. And like, I could never get this bit to work, but I always, like, I had this kind of idea for years, you know, when you just kind of trot around with an idea and now I've seen people do it better and I'm not sure that I'm ever going to get it quite right. But the premise was 
that really I just wanted like women to be equal to men yep. because there were plenty of women who were cunts that I just wanted to be able to like get back. If we were all equal, you could point out that without that being like some, but at the moment, because of the massive disparity in society, I felt like I was like, you know what you are, but you'd probably be paid 70% of what men have been paid and had a lot of things. You have to walk to your car with your keys in your hands. You know what? I'm just going to let you off for now. But if it was all equal, you could get back to the idea of judging everybody. Like if, if people weren't discriminated about their rights, it's like one of those jokes, it'd be great because then I think you could then equally joke about everything again. Well, people are confused between, again, forgive me if it sounds like shtick, but it was almost the core of this last show was... I'm gonna, when explain. I publish this episode, I'm going to call it Forgive Me If It Sounds Like Shtick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but just forgive me if it sounds practiced because yeah. I have practiced it. And that is... Well, these are just bloody jokes that he's practiced that he's saying out loud. <laughs> this is bloody bullshit, mate. <laughs> that uh, I was explained to like younger kids uh, because they haven't lived through political correctness before and they haven't worked out where it ends up uh -huh. is that look your rights are important but your fucking feelings aren't don't confuse your feelings with rights uh, okay so um, how do you like because this is where this just gets interesting to me and I, li I would like to hear your opinion on this is how do you, as somebody who is you know, culturally predominantly privileged, now um, we could spend yep. we could spend hours through debating all those sort of things. No, no, through the roof. But Rich dad, the whole nine yards. It's very hard for us to be the people who go, you, you should be able to say anything because we are the people who can say anything. Like we're not the people who are most likely to be the butt of these jokes or the people <laughs> who are kept down by the ideas, right? Okay. Here's a joke that split a room and it kind of upset everyone. Okay. was Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason said, these days you can't say anything. If you're black or gay. And I thought, you got to say that, you fucking Jew. <laughs> now, yeah. He would still make the same point if I just said, you got to say that. But it's so much funnier right. if I say, you fucking Jew. Because I think, I think we talked about this before. If you're standing on the rug, you should. If, if, if you're pulling the rug out from under people, you should be standing on it. Right? right. But to me, that joke, like, I like that joke because, for a bunch of reasons. Because firstly, you, it takes... It, people think they know where you're going with it. Like, yeah. you're pointing out this idea of, like... You've got to do everything this, you're condemning. And But you're also making the very point as well. And also, <laughs> it sets up that beautiful thing, which I love. I used to have this joke, again, pre-rehearsed. It's like I've written <laughs> this down before. Like um, but it was after the Cronulla riots. Okay. And uh, they... People got beaten on the beach. Uh, Lebanese, Middle Eastern people got beaten on the beach at Cronulla by predominantly white suburb of Sydney um, on Australia Day, I think it was, or up to Australia. It was around that time. And there was big riots on the beach. And one of the things they were bashing people with baseball bats and, you know, saying you're un-Australian. So they were chanting, you're un-Australian and bashing them with baseball bats. Ugh. And the joke was, I was like, no, 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 you're un-Australian. Use cricket bats, <laughs> right? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. and it's like that joke is clearly just me going, we all know the point. I've already made the point yeah. that I'm making. Yeah. And if you're smart enough, you all get from the setup how I feel about this issue. Now I'm going to comedically pull the rug from under us all. Be facetious. Because, but we, you, but if you're smart enough, you, I've still made the exact same point if as if I'd spelled it out. Yes. And that's just a joke. So to me... But it's also making fun of you because you were setting yourself up as this person who knows all and then you say something a bit, you know, non-PC and you pull it away. To me, that's a great joke. 
but that's not all the jokes that are in that zone, right? Like it's always a complex balance is my point. Yeah, okay, but uh, uh, as, as you said, do we get to make the argument of who gets to say what? Right. No. Everyone still gets to say whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. And I uh, guess what that's... So what I'm asking you is what process do you put that through as someone going, am I allowed to say whatever I want, but do I take into context that I am of a group that that in itself is a privilege of my group? Absolutely. That I am constantly allowed to say whatever I want. If I turn on the TV, I see people who look like me saying whatever they want. Yes. Uh, that is funny, actually. They, 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 in Australia, there was a different attitude of... Someone asked me to describe the act and I said, it's probably a 40-something man speaking without filter. And then someone pointed out to me, in Australia, there's a lot of that. Right. I went, oh, okay, hang That's on. That's the predominant a, culture. A culturally aware. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that make, there's two of you. <laughs> yeah, there's a culturally aware, mildly conscientious person speaking without filter. Right? Yeah. But I, I, I don't want to get too bogged. I, I never get too bogged down in whether people think I'm a decent person or I, I'm selling a flawed individual. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, I'm selling a flawed individual on stage, but I, I do believe as well that uh, not only do we kind of owe it to other people to uh, admit white privilege exists, but as not only that, as it, I, I, not only am I white, I'm old and white. Right. I've got a grey beard. Right? Fucking cops call me sir. I notice the difference between being a young redheaded punk and an old grey bearded man, and it's awesome. So not only do I think we uh, owe it to other people to acknowledge that exists, and you're kind of an asshole if you don't. But secondly, if you're friends with people of different ethnicity, sexuality, and gender, sometimes you owe it to them to treat them treat it a bit like it's a fast pass at Alton Towers, right? Right. In the, uh, and I don't want to give a bit away, but it was actually the the moment that changed Craig and I's dynamic, and we ended up working together. Was we're driving up to an RBT. And he started to shit himself because he doesn't know how an interaction with the cops is going to end. Right. I went to Scotch College. Something you've never had to consider is like what happens Dude, if the police pull you If over. I dug out my old school time, well, I went to JDC, then I went to Scotch College. I got expelled to, uh, from JDC and wound up at Scotch College. I don't have a single friend left from that. I've got two people, I think, left from that place. I went from a Christian, Catholic, actually practice what it preaches english as a second language refugee school so we had refugees come to our school vietnamese refugees we had um uh we had esl groups it was integrated it was multicultural and also subsidized so some people paid private school fees other people got to go because they lived in the area because they believed in integration of classes and etc went from that to scotch college where people called the gardeners pe- where the students the, the, not even students, high school kids called right. the gardeners peasants. Uh-huh. And I remember immediately noticing the difference and going, that's fucked up. Mate, I live in an area of Sydney where, the, like, the, I mean, people who've seen Looking for Ella Brandy, the movie, know that, like, the school that it's set on is on a hill on Sydney Harbour. It has, like, that school must be worth 60, 80 million dollars, just right. the property alone, like, oh, in okay. the view, you know. And this is where these kids are playing netball and soccer and stuff, you know? <laughs> Like, of course they have, like, because they have an attitude to life that comes with being that established privilege when everyone around you is rich and educated and has been, and you don't have to worry about what it's like to buy a house because even if you don't have enough money to buy a house, your parents will help you out to get your first loan deposit and those sort of things. And if you get in trouble, they'll get you a good lawyer and all those sort of things. You've yes. never, they've never had to sit you down and give you the lecture on if you get pulled over by the police, here's how you behave. Well, so much so. That actually, if I was to dig out the old school tie, which I don't have, I'm pretty sure I don't go to jail. 
because every barrister and judge in Western Australia, in my home state, is went to Scotch College. Right. So if I turn up with a Scotch College sign, nothing's happening to me. So I know that. I know that level of comfort. And uh, so there's an RBT, I'm sober, and I pull in uh, just specifically to show him <laughs> what the difference in interaction is going to be. Uh, I don't want to blow up the bit because it's the end of the show. Don't. But uh, it, it completely changed. Like, I think that's when he went, oh, this guy isn't looking for a grant. He's just out of his fucking mind. Right. And also what I'm getting out of it is if I want to go to indigenous communities, as he said, we're going to, the, I don't want to ruin his bit. Right. But the thing he says is people like think like uh, 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 on the local scene in Perth, they, they started calling me his pet uh, uh, and so on. Like what the fuck's Craig getting out of it? What's Brendan getting out of it? What's going on? He just lives near my mum, right. by the way. It's just, it, it was a podcast. We got on well and it turned into seven and there was a, that's, it was, there was kismet. There was serendipity staggering that people can't fathom that uh but uh <laughs> he uh just said look i'm not <laughs> I, this silly this silly motherfucker wants to go out to indigenous communities where eye contact is like they speak seven dialects none of them are english eye contact is frowned upon and i'm going to take brennan fucking burns out there and he's going to be getting in their face going fucking fuck I'm a soul brother. Right. right. And you look like everything they hate. Yeah. Like, I'm I mean, on first appearances. Yes. Like, you know. Absolutely. Every, and, uh, and, and to be honest, I think we're the only two people that can get that done. Right. To, to actually, because I have to be everything that, I, I kind of have to be everything they hate, own it, be honest, and be, because the only thing I'm really any good at is making, I can't do puns. Right, only thing I've ever really been any good at is making awkward shit funny, yeah. and maybe turning up my harmless crazy moron. Because the more you do that, uh, like the less you get bogged down, and whether people think you're a decent human being or you're smart or or, or anything like that, well, which all hinders that's, a lot of comedians. And all that stuff's going to get in the way of you actually being funny. Yeah, but also making any genuine connection. Yes, because the two things were so far apart that you can't you've got to get your hands a little dirty and you're going to have to, you know, uh, like, you know, throw yourself on the line to connect and you can't be a tourist. Hannah Gadsby said something I think really amazing about, you know, like she, she was talking more generally about the luxury of people like me, you know, people who, uh, you know, have a long record of being supportive of like gay rights or whatever. And she was talking in that context, obviously, you know, um, but, uh, she said something that really has struck with me and I always try to keep in mind. She goes, but you have the luxury of doing that because yep. you can step away from the fight. Yes. Like, you know, you, you have the luxury of like, when Trump wins, I'm upset that Trump wins because a whole bunch of people who I like will be worse off under Trump. But guess what? I don't have to lose anything really. No. Like I'm going to be way down the list of people they come for. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so you have the great luxury of being able to say, I am pro this, or I am trying to help this, or I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And you have to make sure that you're not doing it for you, for your own moral vanity. Yeah. To go, hey, I'm a great person, and that shit gets stopped. I mean, that's why I admire Tom Ballard so much. Is that like he has confronted a lot of those things, like in his show about the the asylum seekers. You know, he was confronted by you know asylum seekers who said, well, you you know you're going out and making money off our tragic stories, and he talks about that and he processes that, and those are things that I think are important to do because if you just come in and exploit a community for 
I can see why people have been suspicious of that because in the past, one of the things that Tom and I have talked about a bit is the idea of like comedians who did material that sounded like it was pro-gay rights, but relied on all the cheapest homophobic yes, gay Yes, about the gay weddings and the... Yeah, and it's always, but it was always just any of those you know, comedians who would be like, you know, I think that gay people should be part of... I think gay people should be in the army or whatever because they'd fight like this, uh. you know, and it's like... Well, with like the fucking prim- ice creams, you know, the, yeah, yeah, with ice creams, because ice creams are gay, guys. <laughs> They'd be fighting with ice creams. <laughs> all right, that's good. We should fit. We should not a fucking up. spare rib in sight. Uh, all right. Um, uh, well, I don't know how we finish either, because we're just, you know, because we're. Um, uh, what's the you, What's the title finish? of your latest show? Uh, it's called Critically Will. Okay, and. Um, I believe it's, I'm certainly going to be talking about privilege a bit in the show. That's one of the themes that's in it. But it's really a show about, I was just telling uh, you uh, while we had our break, but I grew up living next to a guy who was Australia's greatest con man. And um, I'm fascinated by the idea of, you know, this post-truth facts don't matter world that we live in where expertise has become something that you know we live in the age of the instant expert you know we all think we're experts because we have access to more information than we've ever had in our lives which has been rebranded as democratized right but we live in expertise but we live in echo chambers and we're seeing the results of this around the world so thematically it's going to be about that and capitalism and how capitalism kind of fits into that but you know with heaps of jokes where and where can people see you doing that uh i start doing it um so i'm filming my last special uh january 22 at the melbourne comedy theater there are about 50 tickets left for that maybe when people hear this um and then my new tour starts in adelaide i think march the first or the second so two weeks in adelaide a week in brisbane uh i'm doing hobart one night only four weeks at the melbourne international comedy festival and then perth comedy festival after that so it's a pretty much a sort of three month Australian tour of the and then show. Over, and then overseas? Then I'll take it overseas depending on how it goes and like I've got some kind of hopes for this show I've, I've, I've been working on it um, I, I had a little I had a bit of time for the first time in a few years where I've I'm a fair way ahead of where I would normally be in my show cycle and putting together a new show so I have some actual kind of high hopes for how this show might turn out yeah and um I think I've got an idea of like how thematically I could. Anyway, we I've should got... almost call this our annual writing session. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Is there's that... certainly some themes that we talked about today that I think will end up in the show. But um, yeah, so I'll tour it and then I'll take it overseas. So where I take it overseas, London and even Edinburgh, maybe if I could have the time. But definitely, I'll probably try to do London and, and definitely America and a bunch of other things. What's your Twitter handle? At, uh, at Will with one L underscore Anderson is Twitter and Facebook is official Will Anderson or something official like will that. Anderson. People will find it. And that's pr- I'm on Instagram at Will Arias but I only really uh, post photos when I'm um, on tour. I tap out on Instagram. Well, I, I, I'm never very good at it and I'm not a big photo person, but I realized I was going to so many fascinating places that people would never get to visit. So when I'm on tour and I'm on the road, I tend to use it. And then when I'm... Now, do you print them oh, out? Do I print them out? We had this discussion the other day, last night. All right. I'll wrap up after this, but uh-huh. uh, that uh, our friend Lizzie said... You, I just realized that my kids, when they grow up, they're going to say, have you got a picture of when you and dad met? It's like, no, we didn't because we didn't have a camera on our phone at that time. And it's like, yeah, but they're not going to have photos either. Like, what do you mean? It's because it's diluted. Look at old videos of yourself on YouTube. It's completely digitized. It doesn't, it's, it, what, what is it? Digital, it's called digital something. But also, I all think- All these photos these kids have, 
they're not right. actually going to have any photos. But also, you're not going to look at them. We, I mean, again, this is kind of a bigger discussion for another time, but yeah. a photo used to be an emblem, and it's why we still have a lot of photos in the house. You just take one, yep. and that becomes your like point that is your memory of that night or that trip or that thing. And you look at that. For, if you have one photo... You look at it quite a lot, and it reminds you of that night. There's a photo um, somewhere up here, up there on the on the wall up there. It's a three part photo, and it's at the Melbourne Comedy Festival about uh, 18 years ago. And it has my friend Neria, who has passed away, and Peter Halley is in it, and Gatesy. And I look at that photo, and I can't really remember that night. But that photo, to me, I remember that whole festival. Yes, yeah, and that's all I need. That just that photo in that frame there reminds me of that time, you know. And I have a bunch of photos from my trips and stuff where you've got like 80 photos or 100 photos or 180 photos and I'm never going to look at any of them. <laughs> like I could actually take you through every five minutes of the trip, you know, in a flip book style, but I'm never going to look at those. So I think the way that we, we take photos all the time, but I'm not sure how often we go back through and sort of... But the kids aren't going to have any photos. Mm. There's no framework, nothing. Um, but I'm oh, not yeah anyway so they're my places where about you what about you for uh, my audience so where can I, people find you I'm doing two dates in Melbourne uh, next week I think 15th and 18th one at the Comics Lounge and then one at the local because it's 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 basically the Why Australia Day Can Fuck Off show uh, what the fuck <laughs> you didn't like that she didn't, what your happened? dog made a weird noise that was then. a weird noise wasn't that it that was a super weird she's been very good the whole time and but it's, just... it's, it's but it's kind of I, I, I'm interested in doing it at the lounge and at the local because it's the two different demos. It's a more working class demo at the 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 comics lounge, so that they might get annoyed with some of. But it's not a PC show. It's not a preachy show. It's not about that. Uh, it is just some five good reasons why it doesn't. It celebrates the wrong thing. Yeah. Right. It's actually a very pro Australia show. But it's just well, that, this is the thing I always say about Australia Day. Like Australia's been nothing but good to me. Yeah. Like. I would love a day where I can hang out with my mates and celebrate how good Australia's been to me and a whole bunch of other people. I just don't think that's the day. But and it's also a remarkable country. Right. And the fact that we jump up and down about boats getting here 200 years ago is the most mushroom-induced, navel-gazing, staring-at-your-hands horse shit. It, it's, we're a geological and, and, and anthropological miracle. Right. There's a reason that they have to stop people at the gates to make sure that a new animal doesn't get in. Right. Because we have fucking dinosaurs here. And we have an ecosystem that makes no sense internationally. That we have no idea what the fuck happens if a hornet arrives. You know, that we are actually, we're Mars. We're, we are a different planet. And so anyway, that's more of the theme of the show. Uh, but also, there's some rather uncomfortable home truths and addressing a racist moment that I was involved in. Uh, there's, so I'm doing that in Melbourne and then uh, Sydney Comedy Store actually the weekend of Australia Day I'm doing the Why Oz Day Consult Off show which if you're a kind of a PC hipster I will annoy you as well uh, <laughs> uh, and then I'm doing the Race Off show with Craig Quartermain that we're perfecting it in Perth because we had to practice overseas because uh -huh. I'd get lambasted in the press for tokenism and he'd get fucking shot <laughs> and so we're doing the show race off in uh, Perth and then we're going to be perfecting that for a year and then probably take that back to the international festivals. But above all, it's been a one, it, I, 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 I think we should make this an annual thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Christmas, we both tend to be home around this t time of the year. So we, we do because as a jumping off point for writing, it's been really useful for me. I, got, I can't thank you enough since our last conversation. It's actually changed my life. Oh, there you go. That's good. And uh, well, I say a white straight guy solves it all. 